and we're live. Uh, Ivor, thanks for coming out and joining me here. No bother at all. Uh, a f- good friend of mine, Dave Webster, a guy I'm just actually back from camping on the top of a mountain with, believe it or not, a, another podcast uh, to come, mentioned you to me before. He read your blog, which I read only today. Right. Uh, which basically gives the gist of your experience in the Amazon jungle doing ayahuasca. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, over in uh, Peru, just in the Amazon jungle, yeah. In Peru, okay. Yeah, in Peru, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, how the hell you ended up over there? <laughs> uh, I know it, it says in the blog that, and forgive me if I'll be paraphrasing this, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but it says in the blog that basically you're a bit disillusioned with, with life and with the trappings of kind of modern society and, and our culture and whatever else, and you, you just, you're constantly kind of searching for something else and you ended up going on this trip. Yeah, I guess I guess that's I guess that's how it happened, I suppose. I was um I, like I wouldn't like people to think that I was unhappy with life. I was actually very happy with life. I was living over in Australia at the time. I was working in a good job, all of that kind of stuff. So things things were going really well, you know. But I always kind of seemed to have this I don't know, this this question and this constant question of you know, what's it all about really? You know, what's the what is life all about, you know, because it seemed it seemed like it couldn't be the material side of things that was what life seemed to be to me like you know um i guess i you know i was looking around or there, there seems to be seems to be an awful lot of suffering in the world there seems to be um a lot of people kind of who are disillusioned with things and i guess it was more society that i became a little bit disillusioned with rather than my own life to be honest and i suppose you know I, you know, again, through different podcasts and stuff like that, I began to hear about ayahuasca and I began to hear about kind of the experiences that people were having out there in the jungle, you know, and I kind of, you know, I thought definitely it seems seems like something I'd be interested in doing. I believe the only experience worth believing in life is your own experience. So I says, well, look, fuck it. I'm going to head on out there like, you know, so um i ended up going out with uh three of my mates at the time one of them from australia and two of them were living in london at the time so i managed to talk the three of them in the couple with me or whatever so um i kind of just booked everything up and i'd heard i'd um seen a documentary called um eye awakenings and that was done by a um australian reporter or whatever by the name of rack razam so I'd watched the documentary and it was kind of all about the ceremonies that take place out there and all of that. And kind of after seeing, you know, the healing, I suppose, that was happening out there, I just, you know, felt I needed to go out and find out for myself, like, you know. And sorry, so, what, what do you mean healing that was going on? Um, well, you know, there's, it's, uh, the, like, I guess the best way to describe this is, is um, these are plant medicines that have been used for thousands of years by indigenous tribes throughout the world. Um, for different forms of healing so they would say a lot of kind of the depression and anxiety that people suffer from in the world and um, say maybe a lot of the cancers and stuff like that that what they are is is a spiritual sickness and it's beginning to manifest itself in all of them kind of different ways in all of us that's what the what the shaman the shaman would be the healer that would prepare the medicine and would do the ceremony which out there it's their belief that um, it's their belief that um we they use these plant medicines to heal spiritually is what they what they heal with you know um and all throughout history all every culture 
that we know of has used different plant medicines to what they would say enter into the spirit world. So in the Amazon regions, they use ayahuasca. In Mexico, they would have used uh, the psilocybin mushrooms. In Africa, the Boishi tribes would use um, iboga. Um, whereas, I suppose in Ireland, our druids, our druids would have used uh, psilocybin mushrooms, all of ways of entering the spirit world and 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 in he- and healing. They they call them medicines. A lot of people would say they're, they're drugs, but they would always say, "No, no, these are medicines." Like you know, so you in, you ingest the plant. Like the the ayahuasca is um, it's made up of two parts. So it's made up of the the banisteris capi, which is the vine. And ay- ayahuasca translated means vine of the soul or vine of the dead. And the, the tribes in the Amazon have used them for thousands of years to contact their dead, to contact their spirits and for, for as I said, for healing purposes and all of that. And sorry, the, o- the other the other um, leaf that's in it is the chacruna leaf, which is high in DMT. So when the two of them are merged together, it's put into a massive big uh, pot of boiling water and it's boiled down for eight hours but when you when you ask the shamans out there, how did they come to put these two plants together? Because for every square mile in the Amazon rainforest, there's a hundred thousand species of plants, and they've managed to take these two plants and boil them down into what they would call a medicine. And this medicine is the most um, it's the most psychedelic plant in in, in the world. So it is. It's the it's the it's containing the most DMT than any other plant in the world. So when when you go there, um it's all it's all done in a ceremony. So everything's kinda of done in the dark, so it is. And you go in, you've got your you've got your mattress on the ground or whatever, and the shaman beforehand, he will have pre- prepared the medicine or whatever for a day or two beforehand, boiling it and uh reducing it down, boiling it and reducing it down. And you kinda of go in there at night time and you you're obviously take part in one of the healing ceremonies. And when we were there, there was maybe there was twelve or fourteen people there, and different people were there for different reasons. I suppose some people were there, you know, like I was, I guess, looking for maybe answers. I guess you know, at the time I was maybe afraid to admit it, but I guess what I was really looking for was God. That's I guess what I was looking for. And when I when I talk about God, I always use the word God, but I don't. I'm not talking about a guy that's sitting up in the clouds with a big fluffy beard and he's taking a <laughs> list of all, you know, the sins you make. I'm talking about consciousness. That's what I. That's when I talk about God and I use the word God. I'm talking about consciousness, and that's what these plants do. These plants expand your consciousness, and. That's where the healing, I think, comes in for it for a lot of people. You know, before before I left Australia, about when you ask about the healing, I suppose before I left Australia, um, about fifteen days or so beforehand, I on my very last day in work in Australia, I I'm a painter by trade and I was working painting a window in an old prison, but the the um the panes of glass on the windows were like maybe I don't know fifty or sixty years old, like, but they were literally paper thin, and I went to push the window to see whether um, I could open it or not to, to, to finish it off or whatever. And then I put my hand through the window. And I, I, ended can, up, I can see the scar in your tongue. I ended yeah. up with that scar there. So I got 20 stitches in my hand. Lovely. Yeah, so that was literally on my last day in work in Australia. So I went in, uh, got operated on um, the whole shebang. My hand was in a cast uh, prior to me going to uh, Peru. We, like Before we actually went into the jungle, we'd done Machu Picchu. We climbed up through Machu Picchu for four days. And that that in itself was absolutely just a breathtaking experience. And, and on that, sorry, just get you to pull that mic a little bit yeah. closer. Just I want to make sure I'm catching all yeah. this. But 
on the trip to Machu Picchu, yeah. was that necessary? Do you need to actually no, traverse no, through no, it? No, definitely okay. not. No, I just, to be honest, I just thought it'd be a nice way to kind of, to, to go in there because, you know, there's there's some amazing, there's amazing culture and history in doing Machu Picchu. Like, you know, that, that they're, you know, hundreds and thousands of, or thousands of years old, some of them buildings, and they're built high up into the mountains. So I just thought it'd be a, a kind of a nice way to kind of go and do it before we headed into the jungle, you know? Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And again, sorry to cut across you again, no, but no. I want to jump back slightly mm. because I've been, I suppose, disillusioned with society to, mm. a, to a certain degree or to a large degree, I suppose. Yeah. And I suppose it's been partly the the reason why I started this podcast to have conversations with, with yeah. the likes of yourself and others. Um, and I've heard of, of ayahuasca. Mm. I've taken uh, psilocybin in the form of magic mushrooms before. Yeah. Um, I've experimented with various different drugs and substances mm. and experiences and all the rest of it. Probably similar maybe to yourself. Yeah. Um, and I'd heard that there was great benefit in going to, let's say, the a far off jungle somewhere mm. and doing something like ayahuasca yeah. or one of the other rituals that, that you mentioned but I never did uh, yeah, yeah. least of all convinced you know two or three of my mates to down tools and head off with yeah, me so, yeah. like how long did the trip last from start to finish for a start I guess, I guess in total we were probably over there for about I think it was about 16 days I think we done we kind of landed in Cusco which is where you go to do Machu Picchu so we, we were kind of there for a day then we headed out you you start off on the bottom of the mountain and you you climb up I think it's I'm nearly sure it's 20,000 feet or something by the yeah, time yeah. you get to the by the time you get to the peak or whatever and I can only I can only describe to people the views like you know it's it's absolutely breathtaking to sleep under what you can only describe as a billion stars every night like you know and it's certainly it I got out of that what I thought I would it certainly opened me up to what the medicine was going to be all about like you know I remember uh, talking to one of our uh, tour guides over there you know and we began to talk about I suppose the western world and his view in the world and all of that kind of stuff like you know and he you know, we got to kind of talking about, you know, money and possessions and all of that kind of thing, like, you know, and we obviously began to talk about wealth and he, and we seem to have very similar kind of ideas and that, you know, but he said to me about the one thing I'll always remember, he said to me about wealth, he says, it depends on how you define wealth. Wealth is only a perspective. He says, you might think because you have a pocket full of money that you're wealthy. He says, but I get to sleep under these stars every single night of the year. And he says, that's more, more than any of the money you have in your pocket. And to be honest, I couldn't have agreed more, definitely. It was breathtaking. But we, we camped up on the mountain every night, so you would have hiked for... We were hiking for about eight day, or eight, sorry, eight hours every day, eight or nine hours, and you'd be stopping and eating along the way and all of that kind of stuff. And um, on the fourth day of that, you kind of arrive on, on, on the... Um, I suppose you'd call the village of Machu Picchu at the very top, you know? Yeah. So um, that was amazing because as you, kind of as you came over kind of the brow or whatever you're sitting there and first thing in the morning there's a there's a massive mist over the whole kind of city you know and as you know as a literally in the space of an hour you just kind of see the the mist just disappears and all of a sudden you've got this city up on the very top of a mountain like you know and I guess there's very conflicting things of how it was built or why it was built or who even built it or how long it's been there I guess you know if you're if you're to believe the mainstream kind of view on it, I think they reckon it's a couple of hundred years. But if you talk to the locals and you talk to you know, 
I suppose maybe the I'm sure you've probably heard of the Graham Hancocks and Randall Carlsons of the world and guys like that. Like they would say that they're maybe much more they're they're much older than we're led to believe by the mainstream media, you know. Yeah. So but I guess that's probably a different discussion too, I suppose. Oh no, but, listen, um, we, we we might get yeah, there on, yeah, a, on yeah. another day, but yeah. Again, but like not to kind of repeat myself yeah. all the time, but what the fuck got you to go over there? I mean, there must have been there must have been something. The sh- the shamans, the shaman would tell you, and uh, people sorry, who work with the medicine. They, did they tell you that you needed to go over here to do this? Or? No, what they what they would say to you is that um, your spirit gets a calling. So that's that's how it's described. Your spirit okay. gets a calling to go out and do this medicine, and you you know you maybe even unbeknownst to yourself have reasons for going out there, whether it's healing, whether it's you know whether it's any of them things, you know, but. They, they say the plant, they, they believe that the plant has a spirit of its own. They believe that it's called Mother Ayahuasca and she is a healing plant. And they say that she she calls you out there. She calls you for a reason. And that's why you end up there and bringing three of your fucking mates with you to do it as well. <laughs> the fuck. I, don't know, I don't know whether they were getting called, but I, I fell for the year before. So as soon as I put that plan into action... There was nothing stopping me going out there. I, I, I had to go out there, and I, I knew, I felt it in my body that I had to go out there. And it, it, I guess it turned out in the end that it did. I guess when I, as I, you know, as we go along, I'll explain to you kind of what was happening out there and stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely believe that. I definitely believe I was called out there for a reason. You know, and you've said the word spirit and spiritual a couple yeah. of times. If, I'm not mad on the word spiritual, to be honest with you, but it's, 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 I guess, you know, it's the only word I have to use, like, you know, it's for want of a better word, I guess. I'm not mad on the word spiritual. I don't know why, I just, well, that, that's you know, what I just but that's all we can use, really, I suppose, isn't it, you know? And I think that's a, that's a recurring theme. I've, I've heard, mm. God knows how many different people, yeah. from scientists to psychologists mm. to mystics and gurus and all yeah. sorts, struggle with this kind of term, yeah. spirit or spirituality. Yeah. If consciousness is, or if, if if God is consciousness, is spirituality, is it a form of consciousness? Is it? Well, I think everything is consciousness. You okay. and me and everything are just consciousness. Like you know, I think the the big the big question I guess is that you have to ask yourself is is why have we as a species? Why have we have evolved to have mystical experiences and not just through plant medicines through yoga through fasting through deep meditations some people get there through near-death experiences some people get there through fasting religious experiences exactly some people just have them naturally some of the tribes in africa get there from doing 24-hour dances so trance dances and they all bring us to the same place why have we evolved to have mystical and transcendent experiences of god well, you, you you could argue that we've evolved the way we have um, naturally through the, through the process of evolution, and these experiences are um, almost like a. I was about to say the a, the glitch in the matrix, but that even even that sounds a bit kind of mystical mm. and a bit kind of woo woo. Um, but they could be just um, short circuits. It, it might be. It might be nothing. It might be, I don't know, a short circuit in in your brain. It could be almost like a fault, as such, like a that, you know, which would you make know what them that all false. Like? What's it sound like? That sounds like somebody who's never done a high dose of psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that sounds like. 
<laughs> I've had that conversation with people before. But why why then are so many people having these experiences and coming back and feeling reconnected to nature? Why are they coming back and trying to heal the planet and not only that, heal themselves? You know, these 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 experiences that people are having are literally changing their lives. Absolutely, I'm not saying everybody. I'm sure there's people that probably it doesn't change their life. Yeah, you know, I'm sure I'm sure that that's the case. You know, but why why are we as as a species wired to have mystical experiences of God? That's the question I would have to ask myself and do regularly ask myself that. And I, you know, I I can't. I'd love to be able to give you the answer. Like you know, I'm sure you would too. But it's a question I always ask myself. Like if 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 there if all this is is just nothing if there's no meaning to this this is all as maybe science would like us to believe that this is all just a matter of coincidence like why do we have these experiences of god not just through one way through a number of ways so as i've said you've got yoga you've got meditation yeah, yeah. you've got plant medicines you know near death experiences we've got all of them things like you know it's not that it's just one thing that's getting us there there's a there's a whole host of different ways of getting us there and why is that that's the question i find myself constantly asking myself why are we wired to have these experiences <clears throat> i have to say i love i love the way that you've said that you don't know why you're having these experiences and that you'd love to know and that you keep questioning it because what i was kind of afraid of before you came out here was that you would have had the answers which, oh. which would have made you you know you'd, you'd want that What's the, what's the what's that quote? Extraordinary claims require extraordinary mm. evidence. But you're not saying you have you know the answer. You're just no, not you're at on all. a path to trying yeah, to find it. But I look, suppose, you as know, we all are. you know, I all I can ever give is my experience. I'm not here to tell anybody that what I'm you know what I'm saying is the truth of the world. I you know I'd love to be able to tell you that, but I'm, you know all I can give you is my experience, and that's up you know to you to make up your mind on what you think I'm saying, whether it's true or whether it has an effect on you or not. You know, I can only tell you the effect it's had on my life and the positive effect it's had on my life and that's all I can really offer you like you know the only the only way for you to truly know is for you to go and have that experience for yourself that's that's all there is like I can talk all day about this stuff and I do to so many people who are interested in it and I always leave it by saying the only answer is is to have the experience yourself like you know and I think that's the same with everything in life you know everything is just experience that's what we're here to do is experience things you know that's what I definitely believe. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And I'd, I'd say you're not short on people that are keen to talk to you about all this. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's always, yeah, always somebody kind of wants to wants to hear about it, I suppose. Because it's it's something that, you know, as we said, like there's, there's not many people we know that have done it, like, you know. And I definitely feel that, um, I definitely feel that people at the minute are definitely hungry for for knowledge. Like you know, they've they. I think religions have let us down. I think I think the way religions are being conducted at the minute have really let us down. I guess spiritually, if that's what you want to use the word, I suppose. You know, people are looking. People are you know wondering why is there so much suffering in the world and all of them different things. That's that's a thing that's happening on a daily basis and people you know, rightly so, are questioning that, like, you know, and, and questioning what's it all about, I suppose. And I'm finding more and more people are beginning to question that, you know. No, I, I think so too. And I think podcasting has had its role to play there as well. Mm. It's, it's given it's given people like ourselves yeah. the, the chance to have conversations like this that yeah. other people can tune into and yeah, of course. encourage encourage conversations, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting back to, so you landed, uh, you went to Machu Picchu. Mm. After Machu Picchu, what was the next port call from there? 
Uh, we flew from, so we yeah went back down into Costco and flew to Iquitos. So we were we were a night in a night in Iquitos, kind of just hanging around. Now I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be mad in Iquitos. It's not the nicest of places, you know. It's a bit, it's sorry, it's a bit run down and stuff like that, you know. But um, we just stayed there for a night, didn't really do a whole lot, and then headed for the jungle. Got picked up on the bus the next day with the other twelve or the other uh, nine people that were heading out on the to the ceremony with us, like you know, so. Yeah, that was kind of that was it then, and then we were in we were in the jungle then in in the Amazon I suppose for for eleven days, five ceremonies over eleven days. So you had a night on and night off, night on night off, like you know. So I'm sorry, I, I only know this from from having read mm. the blog. When you say night on night off, that means you you took the ayahuasca, you'd have a you'd have a break the following yeah, day. Yeah, so if Monday you took the ayahuasca, Tuesday you'd no ayahuasca, Wednesday ayahuasca, none on the Thursday. So every every second day, like okay, and the the, yeah. the skeptic in me is screaming up at the surface mm. here how much did this cost and is there an industry in it and is oh there, there absolutely is for sure there definitely is an industry in it yeah our, like our our 10 days out in the jungle cost i think it was about 1100 euros or whatever okay and so that's that was your accommodation your food that was the psychedelic there was the um the ayahuasca itself and all of that like you definitely you different like the whole thing is done over 11 days but it's a, you know the ceremony is not just the, the hours that you're in the Maloka, the ceremony is, is literally from the minute you get there till you leave. On the days that you're not drinking ayahuasca, the shamans uh, preparing these kind of flower baths, which are what they say would be cl- cleansing your energies and all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I know energy sounds a bit woo-woo, but that's what they would say. They would say okay. that everybody is just pure energy and what they're doing is just clean, cleaning your energy for pre- to prepare you for the ceremony on the next night. Because people people are going through some, like, you know, it's not, this isn't a pretty thing that you just go out there, drink ayahuasca, and you go and see these beautiful visions. As I said, the medicine is, it's hard work. That's what it is. Like, it, it's work. If, you know, you're not going out there to have a party. Like, it's not, you know, it's not going out on a Saturday night and just taking drugs and having a rip up with your mates. Like, you're out there to do serious work, like, you know, and that, that can... That can be very hard on a lot of people, like, you know. Having said that, you can smoke ayahuasca. You can smoke DMT. The whole thing, the whole experience might last, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, you can can smoke DMT. I've smoked DMT a number of times, so I have, and it's, it's, to be quite honest, it's a rocket ship into the spirit world, and it is absolutely mind-blowing. It'll make you wonder what reality is once you come back out because that, that seems more like reality than this does at some stage is that is that a good thing because I, I can hear people listening to this saying you know yeah go off and smoke your dmt and forget about reality yeah that sounds sounds like a very responsible thing to do you know that kind of way well it depends you know we all we all wake up in a, in a certain way and so as i said you know there's plenty of different ways to wake up but these plants have been given to us and have been used for thousands of years by tribes all over the world we you know we in the western world have we've done away with all of that kind of stuff you know and we seem to be suffering do we not we seem to be suffering from a lack of any spiritual direction whatsoever, yet these tribes that have used these plants and still to this day use these plants, yet they don't seem to be suffering spiritually. They don't seem to be suffering with the diseases or the cancers or the depressions that we do. So, you know... Is is that more to do... And again, I'm not, you know... Mm. I'm, oh, no, of I'm course. doing yeah. my role as kind of devil's mm. advocate yeah, here. Yeah, of is, course. Is that more to do with the fact that they're... 
they're not eating the processed foods that we are. They're they're not oh, getting sure. advertising bombarded. Yeah, it's a bit of everything. Hours. It's a bit of everything. I would imagine, like you know, like when you when you go out to drink the ayahuasca, um, there's a diet that you do because you know if if you're coming from the west, like and the diet is is a strict diet, and I I feel that the longer you do the diet. Uh, the more benefits you get from drinking the ayahuasca, like it's it's like a cleanse of your body, like you know. So in the diet, like there's no there's no meat, there's no dairy, um, no sugar, no salt, no sex, no drugs, no alcohol. I think that's about it. I don't. And, and why like, um, whatever about you know, no drugs or no processed mm. foods, but why no meat and even no dairy? What's the what's the idea behind the, the dietary restrictions? I guess it, I guess it's just a complete cleansing of your body, I suppose, is what they describe it as, like, you know, that, you know, I guess if, if it, it depends, I guess, on what, what you think consciousness is, like, I would I would believe that, you know, you and your brain is, is a conductor of consciousness, like, you know, and the cleaner, the cleaner your body, the cleaner, you know, they use the word energy, like the cleaner your energies that you go in there with, you know, the more of the experience you're going to have, like you know, because the way the way the medicine works is is it'll spend the for it'll spend it, you could go out there, you know, and do the first five ceremonies, and it could end up just cleaning your body. It could give you a full cleansing of your body, and you could come out of there feeling good, like you know. But if you've done if you've done the cleansing before you go out there, then it begins to work on it begins to work on your heart, and it begins to work on kind of this the spiritual side of things like you know I just think again thinking out loud like I find that um, with cannabis if I was to consume a small amount of cannabis mm. on an empty stomach yeah I find that it it has much more of an effect on me then let's mm. say if I had a big meal yeah. and had a similar dosage, it yeah. would practically have no effect on me. Yeah, well, it's the same with the psychedelics. Like, you know, the, when you do mushroom ceremonies or you do ayahuasca, there, there is fasting. There's fasting for the couple of hours beforehand. And I guess I guess that's what the diet the diet is like. The diet is that you do beforehand is, is a fa- it is a fasting and it's a it's a getting rid of all of the 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 bad things that we put into our bodies as we said the processed foods you know all the the sugary foods the salt and all them kind of things like you know so it is it is a prolonged fast really is what you're doing you know and it's just to prepare your body for for the medicine i suppose i i i can i can imagine a maybe maybe not a biologist but maybe a, a dietitian or maybe a bit of both that would say you know the fact that you haven't eaten certain foods or you fasted for a certain period of time that that would affect your you know your blood sugar levels maybe or your your insulin and that and that's why you're getting more or less of an effect from from certain drugs which is kind of leads me down to ask what is the kind of scientific consensus if there is any on what something like dmt dimethyltryptamine is do you, have you have you looked into the science of it before? Would you oh, know I the definitely structure do. of it? And... Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I do listen to guys like, um, say, da- Dennis and Terence McKenna. Like, you know, Dennis McKenna is a, is a biologist and he's he's over and back into the uh, rainforest the whole time. He is a big advocate for ayahuasca and stuff like that, you know. But again, you know, because these things have been illegal, because, you know, obviously in the 60s in America, the big war on drugs has started and all that, and psychedelics were uh, put on a class A, so they were told that they had no medicinal benefits. So what was happening was, was psychologists uh, back in the 60s were using LSD um, on their patients, and they were having just incredible experiences with them, like, you know. And then obviously when the war on drugs started in the 60s by Nixon, he kind of made all these things highly illegal, so we couldn't do the science on them. There was no science to be done on them, but uh, there's organisations now like MAPS 
and uh, John Hopkins, um, John Hopkins, it, it, it would be the main science place over in America. They're now, they've been given the go-ahead to start kind of doing um, massive testing with um, psilocybin mushrooms and MDMA. And what they're doing is, is they're doing these kind, they're doing the tests on soldiers that are coming back from wars. PTSD and they're giving treatment. Them post-traumatic stress disorder mm. and all them things and they're saying that the the clinical trials that they've now been allowed to do the results are going through the roof nobody nobody has expected it nobody has you know nobody has um been willing to admit of how beneficial they could have been but the the results are starting to come back now and they're 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 shocking everybody really to be honest with you like you know there's massive work being done and these are by you know some of the highest institutes over in america you know yeah, top top so, minds. I couldn't agree oh, more. Oh, for sure, I for sure. So the science. Uh, sorry, what I'm. I guess what I'm trying to say is the sciences. We're only beginning to get the real scientific data on it now. Like you know, that's that's I guess where the science is with it really. But but where, where you're coming from, you'd be keen for you know, as far as you're concerned. Am I right in saying that you're keen for the more science to be done? And it's a shame that it hasn't been being done since the 60s since all these things were made oh for sure yeah absolutely sure we've lost we've lost you know 50 years of where people could have been having proper cures the uh, the, the uh, study that they're doing with the john hopkins society is on people who are um who have literally been told that they've got a year to live usually maybe people who've got cancers and who've got different kind of things like that so they've been given a year to live and what they're doing is they're giving them psilocybin mushrooms to kind of i guess ease ease their fear or whatever and what it is and these people are coming back saying that it's um i think something like 70 percent of people are saying that it's in their top three spiritual experiences of their life and that they've now got no fear of death so that like that in itself that's 50 years of people suffering that we've had to put up with because you know because so- certain people didn't want certain drugs to be legalized like you know yeah no absolutely and i find it again with, with cannabis that oftentimes the cannabis doesn't help directly it also helps indirectly there's a, a good friend of mine whose mom i can't remember her, her ailment but cannabis has been essentially a mir- miracle cure for mm. her and a, a way that it's helped her is it's given her her appetite. Yeah. And the fact that she's eating yeah. has given her, I'd say, arguably more benefit yeah. than the cannabis has. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, she doesn't get one without the other, yeah, so it yeah. has an inadvertent yeah. benefit. Like you're saying, if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you're dying of an incurable mm. disease or something, DMT or, or other such psychedelics mightn't cure you, mightn't make you any better. Mm. But Jesus, if they can make the last few weeks, months or years of your life bearable, it's oh, unconscionable that they will be illegal. Oh, absolutely. And think think of the family. Think of the family that's sitting around watching that person die. And they're sitting there watching somebody worrying about, you know, is this it like, you know, that there's nothing after here or whatever. But these people are taking these different substances and they're now believing in something. They're now having no fear of that. So that person for that year of their life, instead of being worried and anxious and maybe having anxiety about dying is completely open to the fact and becomes quite ready for it. So, th- you know, that in itself is an, is an amazing thing. Like, to be able to give families a, a healthy year together rather than a year for, full of worry and sickness, that that can only benefit society, can't it, you know? No, no, I, I'd be on the for same sure. page. Bearing in mind everything that we've said, though, why are they still illegal? In, why? in your view, like, what, what what do you think it is that uh, that's stopping... Um, is there any society, is there any country in the world that has 
decriminalized psychedelics? Well, if you look, sorry, if you look at um, obviously in the Amazon jungle, like when I went to Peru, they were legalized there, so they were. And I think in Holland, in Holland, um, you can buy mushrooms. In Portugal, um, I think they're de- decriminalized there as well. So I think, I think with the work that, as I said, the organizations like Maps and that are doing, there's no, there's no longer, there's no longer a reason to keep these things illegal. Like they, they said beforehand there was no medicinal benefits to them whatsoever, but now what they're finding is is that the medicinal benefits are through the roof. Yeah. Through yeah. the roof. Like but these I guess these things they're not easy. Um you can't just turn around, you know, within a couple of days and get these things legalized. Like, you know, there's there's obviously red tape around it, like, you know, and there's an awful lot of, I guess, tests that need to be done beforehand. But organizations like Maps and that, they reckon within within ten years that uh, you be you will be prescribed either MDMA or psilocybin mushrooms as a cure for post-traumatic stress disorder or different anxiety diseases, depressions, things like that. The, as I said, the findings the findings are through the roof, so there's no there's no really denying it anymore. Like, you know, the, the the governments can't really deny it anymore. I guess big pharma, big pharma wouldn't want uh, these drugs to be legalized, would they? Because you can go what they what they say that what they say the psychedelic is is ten years of ten years of counselling in two experiences. So in two experiences of the mushroom or two experiences of the LSD, whichever or the MDMA, whichever of the psychedelics, you know, the practitioner is using, I suppose, you know. So instead of being able to have people who are maybe suffering from depression, instead of maybe having them on uh, antidepressants for their whole life, you can then go and you can have these experiences on psilocybin. And even if you're to say there's there's maybe there's uh, five different times you have to go and do these things. That's five payments if if you're going to be charged for these things. So the pharmaceutical industries have lost out on a customer, haven't they? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So that's, I guess, you know, that's a big thing. Unfortunately, in America, you've got lobbyists. Like, the pharmaceutical industry have billions of dollars behind them, so they keep pushing to keep these things illegal because, you know, their their profits are going to tumble. You know, their profits will tumble if, if, these, if these substances are made legal, like, you know... No, absolutely, and there's mm. a. That's I suppose the the bad side of of capitalism. But then mm. there's the the good side. Um, I met a guy recently, James Linden. Um, I think his company's Greenlight Pharmaceuticals, and he's recently got quite a lot of funding to the tune mm. of a couple of million yeah. to research cannabinoids yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. Um, and he's hoping to, I suppose do the clinical trials and studies yeah. that are required to, to kind of prove the the effectiveness of of these different drugs. And he's the funding that he's getting is from venture capital, I believe, at least in part. Yeah. And the beauty of that is that somebody with a ball of money who's mm. looking to invest, who's, let's say, not necessarily already involved in pharmaceuticals, yeah. sees psychedelics yeah. and, um, I suppose, alternative medicines, for want of a better term, mm. as a massive money spinner. Yeah. So... You know, it can, you know, capitalism, capitalism kind of works both ways. There, mm. it's a, it's a curse Absolutely, and it's your savior yeah. at the same. But at the uh, same you know, rate. again, with with capitalism, it's probably the reason that the proper science is being done on it too. At this stage, like you know, because again, as you said, there might be certain people like that who are willing to try and get in and see if they get in at the ground ground floor. Can money be made off it? But then, you know, what's to say that then people haven't been doing psychedelics? And kind of see the benefits for them, and are willing to use their money to put these tr- things through. Like Aubrey Marcus from the Honor Academy, um, Aubrey Marcus is quite wealthy, and he has been doing ayahuasca ceremonies over in uh, Peru. 
I presume it's Peru. It could be, it could be in Brazil, one of them, whichever one he's doing it in. But he's been doing them for a number of years out there, and he's funneling loads of money in, in towards trying to get uh, these brought out as proper cures for people. So, you know, that's another side of it too, that these people, these people that do have money are willing to invest, like, you know, but maybe maybe they're not looking for, maybe they're not looking for um, a money return. Maybe they've had these, these experiences and these spiritual experiences and and want to help the world. Who knows, I guess. Do you know what their motives are? What their motives are? But I know with Aubrey Marcus, he is certainly doing it to try and heal the planet. He believes in the healing properties in these plants, and that's why he's you know spending so much of his time and money trying to promote them. Is there a danger that if the if either new or existing farmers farmer farmers what's the word <laughs> new or existing farmer companies call them? Mm. Is there a danger that they'll distill it down too much? Like I know with with cannabis, say there are. I don't know, but yeah. off the top of my head, let's let's say twenty plus yeah. different types of cannabinoids. Yeah. And then what they end up selling you is distilled yeah. tetrahydrocannabinol, which is mm. THC. Yeah, yeah. Only one element yeah. of what's in the plant. Yeah. In ayahuasca is there a similar problem? I mean DMT no, is the is the no. active compound. I, I, is there I don't, other things? I don't think that would be the problem. I think what the problem is is that um these shamans, these these shamans or querenderos or healers or, you know, whatever your word is for them, um, these people have been trained for years um, to work with these medicines. Like, you know, they're, they're, it's usually in a lineage, so it's usually passed down from a grandparent or a parent. And you have to do different diets with the plants. It's not... It's not just anyone that gets to become a querendero. Usually, most times, it's somebody who's maybe, you know, had a near-death experience or different kind of things, but there's there's a lot of training involved in these things, and the whole thing is a ceremony, and the ceremony is about giving respect to the spirit of the plant, as they would say it. They, as I said, they believe these plants have a spirit and are a healing spirit, and they believe that the ceremony is an integral part of the whole ceremony, and that's as much about the healing as anything else, because when you when you're in ceremonies there's uh, there's these ikaros that are sang and the ikaros are sang by the shaman and what what they are is is their 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 healing songs and they say that the plants gave them these healing songs that by drinking the ayahuasca on a number of times they had direct contact with the spirits and the spirits of these plants gave them different songs for different healings so somebody who might go out there with depression somebody who might go out there with anxiety somebody who might go out there with cancer that there's there's different songs for each different type of healing so i guess with the pharmaceutical companies that's what you're going to lose. You're going to lose, you know, the benefit that these indigenous tribes have brought to these and the and the ceremonies. And it seems to be we we do this in the West, don't we? Like we take we take a, a culture and we kind of, you know, we don't understand what our ceremonies are about. So we just we just say, oh, the ceremony. We don't need to do the ceremony. And I guess that's the worrying part with these with these medicines and stuff. They need to be done with with somebody who's trained in using them. I suppose you know. Yeah, Most not definitely. Ju- not just the ceremony, not distilled to a paragraph on the exactly. back of a shiny wrapper. Well, rapper, well look, or even you know, being brought into a clinical lab where you're sitting in a you know where you're sitting in a hospital bed and you're being given ayahuasca. You know, it's it's all about setting setting. That's what yes. it's all about. It's all about being in a comfortable environment. It's all about you know um, going in there with with your intentions. That's what they say. You need to go in there with the right intentions and all them things. But you you need to be with somebody who knows what they're dealing with. Like you know. 
I like I can give you an example of you know one of the one of the nights during one of the ceremonies one of, one of the my friends that came with me he was there and he was kind of lying down lying down on his mattress or whatever and this was during the ceremony so everything's done in the dark so you, you kind of drink at night time and everything's done in the dark and we were all kind of lying down and he said what felt like the devil he says he felt like the devil walked into the maloka and he said that when he kind of sat up he says it was just this 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 energy like he's never felt before in his life and it scared the life out of him and he said within within literally a second he said he could see the shaman and he said it felt like the shaman was in four different places at one time kind of moving this negative energy moving this dark energy out of the maloka and he kind of he forced the energy out of the maloka like you know. I'm sorry you said maloka a couple of times what is the the, the maloka the maloka is um is kind of the, the ceremony hut so it's usually a big massive wooden structure and it's usually done in in a circle but it's all it's made out of timber so it's 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 quite a big thing like you know so that's where you go to sit and you, you, you do the ceremony or whatever. So each person, you have your mattress and everyone's kind of round in a circle and the, the shaman's up at the top and then you've got, you know, everyone's on their mattresses around there in a circle, you know. And there was what? Was it 10 or 11 you said at the same time? I think time? there was 12. My memory doesn't be the best at times, but yeah, it was yeah. about, I think there was 12 of us there, 12 people. Then you've got your shaman and then you've got maybe two or three facilitators that wouldn't be drinking the ayahuasca and they're there. They're there to help people to the toilet. Like um, with, with the ayahuasca, they, ca- they call it the purge. And what the purge is, is either you're either vomiting very badly or it's very bad diarrhea coming out of you. And again, what what the shaman would tell you is, is that that's that's the 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 bad energies from you know as we said earlier from the processed food from all of that thing that is kind of clogging up your body like you know but your body needs to get it needs to get rid of all of that first before it can then start to work on the soul. So you know that's when everybody's there, it's in the dark, and you've got them people to bring people to the toilet now because. You know, you're you're very heavily under the the medicine at this stage, like you know, and you're they're highly visual, like ayahuasca is highly visual, like you know, um, so getting to the toilet in the pitch black dark can be a little bit harder than <laughs> you think, I suppose. You have your light, you have your light, but you 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 kind of try to cover it with your hand. But I guess for anybody, I suppose, who's been intoxicated before, you know yourself, it's not easy to stumble around in the dark, you know, so you always have helpers there to, to guide people in and out of the toilets and things like that, you know. You're, um, you, could, you could say that you're being kind of cavalier with your own safety, going to the middle of the jungle and taking a substance you're not, you know, overly familiar with and leaving your life essentially in the hands of, of strangers. Is that is that fair to say? Or, like, is there an element of... Um, well, I guess, like, I've done quite a lot of research before I went out there. Like, I researched this, you know, I, there, there there, certainly is uh, shamans out there that are just out there to make money. That's, you know, certainly something I'd like to stress to anybody listening to this and anybody yeah. who would think about going out there. You need to do your homework on this. You need to do it with somebody that's respectable out there. You need to do it with somebody who has attention to detail, who's somebody who's been a proper trained shaman from a good lineage, like, you know, because there's a lot of charlatans out there and they're called brujeros they're the kind of they would be the opposite of a good shaman like you know and they 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 aren't good like you know they and they can go out there under the under the medicine they've been known to you know maybe assault women or you know touch people up and do different things like that like so 
I believe everything has a duality, so everything has a good and a bad in it, like, you know, so I guess that's the bad side of, you know, what ayahuasca is like, you know, because with with anything that money is involved in, you're always going to get schemers, aren't you, like, you know, no matter yeah, what it, no matter what it is, like, you know, and the, the, thing, the thing with this medicine is, you know, as I've said, everything in life is duality, there's good and bad and everything, and this has no top or bottom, you can use it for either. You can either use it for good or you can use it for bad. There's no, there's nobody to 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 stop you, like you know. Yeah, because just a, a bit of kind of back of the napkin mm. uh, maths. You were saying it was what eleven hundred quid there. It's about eleven hundred quid, yeah. Over about eleven days. Over eleven. There was days, about ten years, yeah. so you're you know it's mm. about a grand a day. Yeah. Which is big bucks, I would have thought. Oh for sure. Oh for sure. That's eleven thousand. Oh, that's that's a thousand quid a day mm. in euros. Yeah. Okay, so um, it would have been, yeah, yeah. So a grand a day, yeah, over the course of yeah. say ten days, yeah. Do you know, like, like the day you left, the next day was there another ten people in for not 10 really? Days, there or? doesn't seem to be in Paris's place. No, Paris is okay. very kind of, you know, it's it's definitely not done. It's not that quick of a turnover in it, like. But you you have to understand too what the money you you go out there and you see where the money's going. He's building a healing center out there, like he's building he's building these huts, he's building these massive big malocas, he's building all of these things and these are all part of a healing uh, centre he's building you again know. the sceptic in me mm. says that he's investing it in, in his infrastructure so he can get you know 200 people paying no, 100 he, quid a day no no, no, no it's never that it always the most people he'll ever drink with on a night would be 10 people 10 12 people would be the max but again the, the sceptic comes racing to the surface here and he might only do 10 mm. but he could have you know 5 underlings for want of a better term or co-shaman or whatever you want to call them um, again, listen, I, 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 mm, no, I don't, I know, the first, I just don't know the first thing about him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't want to cast aspersions on him or anything <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. But um, I obviously would be uh, wary. So for anybody who's kind of interested, yeah. is, there a good, is there a good resource? Is there like a an, an official Peruvian website... Of you know, yeah, I think I think there is there there is, but I off the top of my head I can't think of the name of it now. But yeah, Percy would be very respected. There's there's six or seven master shamans that are out there, and Percy is one of them master shamans. Right. So um, there's the Blue Morpho group. That's another one. And but look, you know, you're kind of talking as if you know he's not entitled to make money, like you know, because everybody everybody in life needs money to survive and stuff like that. Like and he he like from the things I've been told about Percy, like he would spend an awful lot of money on all the people around him. Everybody that's within his circle, all family, all that kind of stuff. He's, you know, worked with them, bought them houses or, you know, looks after everybody in that area. Like he is he to be a shaman you need a tribe around you, like, you know, and that's what he does. He looks after that tribe and that's what he does. You know, but again, you know, money will always come into everything at the end of the day. And what? Why would he not make money off something if he if he can? He still needs to feed his family. He's got, um, he's got two kids that are um severely handicapped that he's spending serious money in the hospitals trying to uh, get fixed. Like two of them, I think, were born with serious issues with their legs and with their arms and stuff like that. And he's had to pay crazy money over there to try and get that fixed. Like you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, don't get me know, wrong. I, w- oh. I wouldn't begrudge a man for, no, for making course, a few quid. I run my course, own business. Exactly, exactly. Um, no, I, I, I fully understand what you're saying. I know that. I know what you're saying about the money that's in it. But you know, there's money in everything. Unfortunately, like you know, unfortunately, that's the way the world goes round, isn't it? Like that, money's always involved in everything that we do. We one, all have to survive, I suppose. One thing that I've heard from, I suppose, nearly most people, I think that have gone deep into the 
the psychedelic route is that they come out of it, I suppose, not not falling for the trappings of society, including money and possessions and commercialism yeah. and, and different things. Have you have you found that? Yeah, I most certainly have, to be honest with you. Yeah, I definitely have. Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I've obviously, I've, I've bought a house down uh down in Cavan at the minute that I'm kind of doing up and stuff like that and once once I have that I'm done you know like my my plan is to get down there and get as self-sufficient as I can like you know to get my polytunnels going and grow my own food and you know to try and get maybe um do my own electricity and all of that kind of stuff like you know it and as I said it's not it's not about giving up on society far from it like you know but I just I I believe I need to take care of myself and my family like you know that I don't need to rely on anything else really to do that like you know so yeah I definitely I feel that you know as you said the trappings of life and all that they they seem to disappear away you know but I wonder is that you know I've heard from I guess different people over the years and things like that who would be who would believe in God and believe in them things and they would they would all tell me that you know, when you believe in something, when you believe in a God, and again, I talk consciousness, I'm not talking about the fluffy man up in the cloud, like, at all. <laughs> but when you, when you found that, you don't want for them kind of things in life, you don't need them kind of things in life, and, you know, I, I guess I've questioned, you know, why, why are so many, why have we such an obesity problem, why have we such a drink and drug problem around the world at the minute, and it's because we're, we're losing, we're losing contact with spirit and with nature is what I feel, you know, and I think once you reconnect with that kind of thing, you know, them wants and them needs kind of disappear, I think, to be honest, and that's not to say I don't eat shite the odd time, like, of you course, know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. like, of course I do, I'm, I'm human, I guess, you know, that's the thing, you know, we, we all kind of like them things, but they seem like they're, it's a rarity for me like you know and it's not that I'm forcing myself to not have to do them things it's just something that doesn't you know particularly interest me that much anymore you know possessions as well like I wouldn't care what I was driving I wouldn't care what clothes I wear you know it's not they're not things that I would think about too much at all anymore you know and what is it about psychedelic experiences do you think that I suppose makes people come away with that 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 similarity in, in thinking. I think it's that reconnection. I think it's that reconnection to a higher power than, you know, you know, a higher state of consciousness, an altered state of consciousness. The way the way I would describe the psychedelic, whether it's whether it's ayahuasca, whether it's mushrooms, whether it's a boga, there's over four hundred species of plants in the world that can give you a psychedelic experience. And um, what I, the way I kind of think of it is, is the brain, like science tells us the brain acts like a filter. There's a billion things going on around us right now and the brain is filtering everything out so that we can have this experience to survive. What I think the psychedelic does and what a lot of other people think the psychedelic does is it, it releases the filter. It releases the filter a little bit for you to be able to see all the other stuff that's going on around you. And when you begin to see all the other stuff that's going on around you, it begins to... I guess open your consciousness to the whole thing like you know that's what I believe the psychedelic is I believe it's it's about um, taking that filter off it's about releasing the filter valve on your brain and I think that's what you're seeing I think you're seeing what's going on around you at, at, at that's all going all around us the whole time at, that the brain is filtering out and I think that's what the psychedelic does yeah, no, it's it's, it's fascinating um, I've, I don't know who to attribute this to as usual but I've heard it said that you should be wary of what is it? You should be wary of knowledge that you didn't earn. Mm. 
that's kind of bandied about in the psychedelic world. I don't know if you've come across it, but it's it's usually said in the context that be wary of of what you learn from wisdom that you haven't earned. So if you take a, mm. a dose of ayahuasca or magic mushrooms or whatever, mm. whatever it is and you feel a sense of having become enlightened, mm. that you haven't earned that enlightenment and that a better way would be to do it through yoga and to do it through whether it's trance, dance or do it do it via, via natural means, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not so sure that I buy into that, to be honest with you. Like, you know, I believe, I believe that, you know, there's many ways of opening up your consciousness and I believe it's all paths to the one place. It'd be all very boring if we all just found it through one way, would it not? Like, you know, the whole idea of the game is, is that, you know, it's all diversity, isn't it? Like, you know, and I think there's many ways of getting there and I think that's the beauty of it, to be honest. I don't I don't buy into the fact that because you've taken a plant, sure, why, why, would, why would we be able to have that experience, you know, otherwise? Like, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any difference. The, the thing is, is that it's the, the whole point of it is to have the experience and to change your life. And does that matter whether you meditate to do it or whether you go and go into the Amazon jungle? Like, as you said yourself, like, you're taking an awful risk to go and do that. So do you not think you've earned that right then, if, if that's what you're saying? Yeah, no, that's, that's a very yeah. valid point. Um, on the, on the taking the risk um, and kind of giving your hand and your 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 safety, I suppose, over over to someone else. Essentially, I had a similar experience, completely unrelated, but a similar a similar type thing yeah. with a skydive. Yeah, I've done a couple of skydives, jumping yeah. out planes, yeah, at whatever thousand yeah, feet. Yeah. A good crack, a great crack. Yeah, yeah. But in the same way that you kind of surrendered your safety to uh, the shaman. When you yeah. do a skydive or you do a bungee jump or you even you get into a car really when you think about it, yeah. you're putting your safety in the hands of the people who made the car, the, yeah. the guy who's strapped to your back or whatever yeah. else. Um, so, you know, different strokes. But uh, So you landed at, is it Percy's the name of the shaman, wasn't it? Percy's the name of the shaman, yeah. Percy you were, Garcia. You, you arrived there and what's what's the start? I mean, do you, I'm, I'm trying to get a picture in my head because I didn't get that from the from the blog which I'd highly recommend mm. everyone read and I'm going to post it to the, the Facebook yeah, page perfect, but do, yeah. do you arrive um, do you check in at reception <laughs> no, do, do you know what I mean like, like that yeah yeah we kind of um, so you kind of get the bus out and it's done it's um you obviously head out on the highway or whatever, so you go out and but you eventually start coming into the jungle or whatever, and there's kind of a road running through the jungle. So like it's a big enough road, like it's not a dirt road or anything. Okay. But when when you get to um the spot where Percy's um centre is or whatever, you, you get off the bus or whatever, and there's a probably probably a half an hour hike in through the Amazon. Then so there is, so you kind of rock on in through like and there's there's paths cut out and stuff like that, mm. you know and. A, at different times of the year I think it can be uh, a good bit harder to get through because obviously with their rainy season and their wet season sometimes you can be up to your neck in water you know now we were lucky enough when we went there it was their dry season so we just kind of walked on in but you literally just get to the centre or whatever and um, you're giving your you're giving your hut which is literally kind of a wooden a wooden shack and it's got your two beds in it and it's got your bathroom behind you in it as well and that's it then and then later on in the day Percy come and meet come and meet you or whatever so kind of like a meet and greet now Percy's no English so he has an interpreter with him like you know so you meet him and the interpreter and he just kind of gives you a bit of a rundown on you know what you know 
I guess what the itinerary is going to be really on the on the couple of days that are there and that you know. And had you some form of an itinerary before you left, or did you know it just yeah, it took no, ten days? Or, yeah, or what, no, we've been it? given a kind of an itinerary by Rack, um, who was kind of the facilitator of the whole thing, like you know. So you know, when he when we were emailing over and back to him, like he'd sent you an itinerary of what you were going to be doing and different things over the kind of ten days and that you know. So we had had a rough idea what we were going to be doing, you know. And this is Rack Rasman. Rack Rasman is his name, yeah. And that's the Australian guy. You met him in Australia. Did did you say? No, or? I didn't now. No, no. I'd watched his uh, documentary, Eye Awakenings. Okay. And that's how I'd kind of come to hear about him. And then, so I'd obviously watched the documentary. The documentary um, was shown at the Cannes Film Festival, all all the big film festivals, and got massive reviews over there. So it did. So I kind of, in my head, I was thinking, well, if he's gone to the trouble and he's getting a documentary kind of as well received as that, he'd have to be fairly reputable, wouldn't he? So I guess I kind of started looking into him. Then I realised he was kind of facilitating these groups going over and back so I then got you know got in contact with him and kind of booked us all in like you know okay so mm. you, you get there you meet um Percy through his uh translator yeah. that you you get the lowdown on what the itinerary is mm. and and then what um well then your your first night then really you're just kind of left to just relax and chill out and just kind of fall asleep to the sounds of the jungle, I suppose, like, you know, which is in itself, you know, going out there without doing the ayahuasca is another, is another amazing thing, like, you know, the sound of that jungle at night time is, it's alive, absolutely alive, with just noise and animals and sounds and... Yeah, it's a, even a beautiful experience. And like, is, is it is it insects or? Yeah, there's insects. There's we uh, actually one of the days. Um, so you you've got your so your two beds are in the room and you've got kind of your toilet behind you. And on the second day, I went in just to go for pissing in the toilet, like you know. So I lift up the lid on the oh. toilet. But you normally like so you have a big bucket of water beside you. So it's a proper toilet, and then okay. you've got you've got like a, a, por- of water a porcelain toilet. You. Yeah, oh, a porcelain okay. toilet in the middle of the jungle. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you've got your toilet and then you've got a big kind of uh, bath of water beside you and you, you obviously go to the toilet and that's how you flush it. Yeah, like, yeah, you, know, you dump so the bucket it down. Flushes yeah. it out and out. But I lifted up the lid of the toilet and there was a monster tarantula in the Jesus. toilet. Jesus. So we flushed, we flushed the tarantula down the toilet and then the next day when we came, there must have been easily about 5,000 baby tarantulas <laughs> going down the toilet as well. So yeah, so you do get a few nasty surprises. Like there's definitely... There's bugs, there's mosquitoes all around you, you know, there's, there's not nothing major, like nothing that, you know, would be annoying you or freaking you out or anything, like, you know, but they're definitely, they're definitely there, you know. And do you have to get, did you have to get shots or? Um, no, over? there was nothing, uh, that, that part of the jungle that we went to, there was no, you know, there was, there was no need for shots or none of that kind of okay. stuff, like, you know, so. Yeah, no, definitely not now. But I'm sure, you know, I think in some of the other places, you know, as you'd maybe go deeper into the jungle or uh, deeper into different parts of Peru, I'm sure there are different places where you would need, you know, to get different shots and things. But most most of the most of the shamanic ceremonies kind of take place in and around the Quitas and that, you know. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. what the history is, I suppose. I suppose so, yeah. So, well, there and then in Cusco as well. Like, you can go in deep into the mountains in Cusco back where Machu Picchu was and you can do it in there. They've, they've another plant medicine in there called... San Pedro and what they say is is San Pedro is the male plant and ayahuasca is the female plant and the female plant ayahuasca is um is healing on a on a spiritual and a physical level and the San Pedro is a working on your heart so they call that a heart medicine and that's about opening up your heart so maybe some some traumas that we all carry around with so us when like you maybe, say your heart you're metaphorical heart as yeah, opposed to the, as the in, pump yeah, in the middle of your exactly. chest. Yeah, like. exactly, no, I don't mean actually on your heart, but, you know, they call it a heart medicine that, say, like, maybe psychological 
mental issues like different say you know maybe deaths in your family or you know different things like that or you know different fears you might have in life or different so anxieties and emotions I guess is what you would call it yeah, yeah. okay so it kind of the San Pedro is the is the male and uh, ayahuasca is the female and, and they both work on different they both work on different things you know the San Pedro that's a, is that DMT or no no it's so not it's DMT completely yeah, different completely different substance yeah okay yeah, okay yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's um, not even the same. It's not the same molecules, none of that kind of thing. But like, it's you know, a psychedelic. So it's a psychedelic. Yeah, it's not. It's uh, as far as I know, it's not as visual as the ayahuasca. It's more. It as I said, it's more kind of working on the emotions and kind of things like that. But you know, it's still a psychedelic. Like you know, yeah, yeah. There is visuals with it, but just not to the extent the ayahuasca, which obviously DMT is the strongest psychedelic known to man. So okay. the DMT is in the ayahuasca, where it's not in the San Pedro. Right. Yeah. Um, so I I just like to say with the DMT. Yeah, like yeah. DMT is naturally produced in your brain. Yes, I believe so. Is it has in, it been localized in the penis in the pineal gland? Pineal well, gland? they pineal they gland. believe from doing tests, from doing scientific tests with rats and stuff like that, that that's what they've they've found it to be. In, like you know, is in uh, the pineal gland in the brain. When you when you dream at night, very small, minute parts of DMT is released into your brain, and that's why you dream. And um, what the shamans would say is when you die and what science is now beginning to kind of say and this is what happen, happens with the rats is that when you die your brain, your brain is flooded with DMT and what the shamans would say is that that is to soothe your passage into the afterlife so it's to bring you into the spirit world and that's what they say that DMT is from and if you if you look at through all the different cultures in the world like say even in the in the um, hydroglyphs in uh, the Egyptian pyramids and stuff like that, they've all got that third eye. Yeah. Do you know, they've all got the things for the third eye and that's what they would say that is like. They would say that they, they knew that that's what the DMT was like, you know. Is the pine cone used for the same? The um, pine cone, I have heard that too, yeah. I have heard that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to, uh, until my little brother has a listen to this because he's a degree in neuroscience. Right, very So i will be very interested to hear yeah. his thoughts on, yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there an evolutionary basis why the brain will be flooded with DMT? You know, as you die, it, it would seem like a, it would seem redundant for anything to happen in the throes of death. If that if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I guess I can only I can only you know tell you from the shamanic point of view that as yeah. they say, it's the suja passage into the into the afterlife. That's how they they would describe it. Like you know. Okay. And yeah. when you when you when you smoke DMT, trust me, you, you think you've gone to the afterlife. That's <laughs> exactly what it feels like. You go through the tunnels. You go through the um, literally kaleidoscope. Yes. Get yes. that word out. Kaleidoscope of colors and stuff like that. And it feels like it feels like you you come out, so you merge out, and it feels as if. Well, it doesn't feel. You see, you see these spirits that are basically. It seems like they're there waiting for you, and they're more or less welcoming you home. You know, it's it's funny because yeah. I wouldn't believe a word out of your mouth in relation mm. to that. Only that everyone seems to have the same experience. Everybody, and my answer to you would be: you need to smoke some DMT and find <laughs> out for yourself. Because I can tell you all night about it, and everyone else yeah, can tell yeah. you all night about it. But I've I've done probably DMT maybe. I guess I suppose maybe twenty times. I suppose at this stage, and I've brought. I would have been doing it when I was in Australia, to be honest with you. And I brought maybe thirty people with me doing it, and every single one done beforehand told me I was full of shit and I was only a hippie. Yeah, yeah. And every single one of them at the end of them told me that I changed their life with that experience. Yeah. And that's thirty people that all told me I was full of shit. 
20 minutes beforehand so but it's 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 the 30 people that's out that you experienced that way it's it's everyone i've ever mm. known to have taken yeah. it or i've heard have yeah. taken it all seem to have the, the similar experience yeah. and i know um there's another quote that i'm a big fan of which is the plural of anecdote isn't data but when people of all walks of life all different cultures mm. are all taking the same substance and having essentially the exact same experiences yeah. you yeah, you have to kind of you have to question. The, yeah, of course. The question, I but again, the, the problem the problem with our society is, is again is is that science because science can't bring into a lab and do a test on it and see whether it is or it isn't like that. We all kind of were dismissive of it, like you know. But again, as I've said, like each tribe and each culture all over the world have used these different plants to all bring them to the same place. You yeah, know? no, it's 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 fascinating stuff. Um, so. Getting back then to mm. the, the actual trip, so or the the, uh, yeah, the journey, yeah. should I say? I yeah, can't. Yeah. <laughs> These words have been hijacked in this know, conversation. So you're after making yourself at home. You have your bed, you have your toilet. You've had a horrendous experience with a yeah, tarantula. Yeah. Um, you presumably you go to bed that night, try and get a bit of sleep. You were saying yeah. the sound of the jungle was amazing. Yeah, yeah. You get up and is it is it kind of straight to work or no it's it's literally just it's it's breakfast really kind of so you know you have breakfast and then you go up to the maloka and then kind of Percy will give you a run through and maybe what's kind of gonna you know what to expect for the night and different things like that like you know and he um on the first day he actually apologized to us because normally he likes to meet you straight off the bus but he hadn't on the first night because his auntie had died um literally two days beforehand like you know and I remember um, somebody asking him, like, oh, you know, like, are you, are you all right to do the ceremony or whatever, like, you know, and he was there going, oh, yeah, sure, I'd probably speak to her during the ceremony was his answer. And he, he, you know somebody, you know, when, you know the way people think they know something, but knowing at the very essence of your soul is a very different thing. And I could tell from the, from the way he knew, from the way he, you know, was speaking and behaving that it, he knew he knew he would speak to her in the spirit world or because as i said like these tribes have talked to their ancestors for thousands of years through these plant medicines you know and he he was just as if nothing had happened like you know to them to them that that is not like we view it in the western world like you know they would view it as you know you drive around in this body for you know 70 years if you're lucky or whatever but then the soul transcends and he would be absolutely believing that like you know Transcends to what? Do they believe in reincarnation? Is there a is there a religion associated with ayahuasca? No, definitely not with ayahuasca. I, I, you know, well, I, well, there is. There's the there is one in Brazil, and they kind of do it through. I guess they do do through um, Catholicism. I, I'm nearly sure is what it is like. You know, but they drink every every Sunday like they get together and they have mass and they'll drink bits of ayahuasca now they wouldn't drink as strong a cups of ayahuasca as say what you'd be drinking out in the jungle like you know yeah yeah so there definitely is a religion i think it's called the santa dm i think is the name of it and i think it's now after getting um approved in america as far as i know to be able to use ayahuasca so i think it could be the first psychedelic that they're allowed to use over in america i think now at this stage because they would use it as a sacrament they say it's a sacrament and part of their religion but out in the jungle drinking the ayahuasca it's a it, you know there's no there's no religion like you know it's not it's not like going to mass i know what you mean yeah, yeah. but they they certainly i would imagine i would imagine that they believe in reincarnation i would imagine that they do yeah do you yeah do i most definitely yeah sure how could you learn everything in one go you won't learn it all in one go, will you? 
you could argue that why would you be expected to learn it all in one go? Yeah, you wouldn't. That's what I'm saying. I, that's but, why, why. but why would you, just because you can't learn it all in one go, why would that necessitate or... Well, why, I, I why guess, would you need to I know guess, it all? Know I, it guess, all? I, guess, I guess, my you know, I would believe in a soul. I mm. believe you and me are both souls. And we've come here playing a game. And we've both come here and played the game to forget that we're a soul. And that's what awakening is, is awakening to who you are. And I guess I, I love, I love, you know, I used to be a person who used to say that I, you know, I thought all religions were bullshit. But what I'm now beginning to realise is that there's incredible wisdom in every religion. It's just got a whole load of bullshit on top of it. And it's just, you need to figure out and try and kind of, you know, decipher which is the bullshit and which is the wisdom, you know. And I, I would definitely, I love the, the Hindu philosophy, I guess. Like, you know, I, I love the thing that you, you are God playing a game of hide and seek with himself. Because if you were God... And you had an infinite amount of time. So what else would you be doing? <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, so yeah. I would I would believe that, you know, I believe in evolution. And I believe that, you know, I believe in the evolution of the soul. I believe in the evolution of this planet. I believe everything is a game of evolution. And I believe, you know, you're birthed here and it's, it's, it's all about evolving your soul. And as each time you come back here, you, you know, you'll gain a bit more wisdom or you'll gain a bit more knowledge and you'll, you'll further evolve your soul. And that's what I believe, and I believe the the end game is to evolve your soul, where you're where you merge back into the Godhead, where you merge back into the One, the Singularity. You know, that would be my belief. Like I believe that we're all souls, and that this this body is just, you know, something that you walk around in for seventy it's a meat years. Vehicle. And I I believe Ivor McQuillan is an e- is an ego that I take on when I come here, the same as Francis McKeown is an ego that you take when you come on here, because that's how you need to experience life, and you need to experience different things to learn and to grow. So that would be my my beliefs. Again, they're only my beliefs from you know from what I've learned from using these plant medicines, from what I'm now beginning to learn from you know reading on the Hindu religion, religions, on Buddhism. You know, I I heard you speaking the other day about Jordan Peterson. Like I've I've learned an amazing amount about the Bible through listening to Jordan Peterson's teachings and Carl Jung and guys like that. Like you know who've yeah. who've, who've got amazing teachings. And I I believe that there's there's um. What's the word? There's there's loads of arrows pointing you in the right direction as you walk along your path, and I think you'll you'll stumble along each of them as your mentor, and I believe that's how the soul evolves, and I believe it's all a game. I believe it's the game of evolving your soul, and that's what you're here to do. What you're talking about is has that been encapsulated in a in a religion, for want of a better term, or in, or in something else? Like, can you say that you're a insert what you are here? Do you, do you know that kind am of way? I, am I, would I associate with any religion? Yeah, a, a reli- maybe, maybe religion is the wrong term, but c- like some people would consider themselves a Catholic or yeah, a Buddhist yeah. or a, ah, yeah, a, yeah. Is there no, a summarizing no, there's term? None, there's, none, there's none that I would kind of associate myself with at all. Is like, there a you know, closest but I, one? But I love, I suppose Hinduism recently, okay. you know, I begin to, to read their scriptures and, you know, what, what I'm beginning to find at the base of all religions is that as I said, like there's amazing wisdoms in it. Like you know, they're you know at at the, at the base levels of them all, they're they're telling you how to lead a good life. 
I think I think the ego gets involved then and then it starts saying, oh, this God needs to be worshipped or this will happen or that will happen or whatever. And I, I don't, I, I, I think that's a load of bullshit, you know. I, I think with, you know, even with Catholicism, the whole idea of sin, I, I think sin is a, fo- is, is a joke, like, you know, there's no such thing as sin. There's only lessons. That's what, I, that's my belief, like, there's that all it is is lessons. How can there be sin if you're here to evolve your soul? Because the only way you're going to learn the lessons to evolve your soul is to make mistakes. And I think we're all here we're making mistakes and we're learning and we all suffer here and the, the hardest things that you suffer from in your life are the things that that teach you the most and give you the give you the wisest lessons we've all found out the hardest things in life are the things that you know bring you on the farthest in life i think no but without a doubt uh, i was actually only reading a book called try by a guy called I think sebastian younger mm, i've heard about it and yeah it's a f- mm. fantastic read uh, but he he touches on exactly what you're talking about mm. there the, the idea that um struggle brings families and mm. communities closer together yeah. and we've all experienced it when there's a mm. death in the family everybody yeah. rallies together and sure. he mentions that in um a couple of examples he gives was one was the blitz uh the bombing of london when mm. 30 odd thousand people civilians were killed but the population of london still to this day look back on that era with a, a sense of pride and mm. you know it was a it was a time when everyone kind of grouped together yeah. and the, the bonds felt stronger than ever mm. before i think the same is said about new york yeah post sure. 9-11 exactly it everybody kind of yeah. pulled pulled yeah. the resources and, and kind of clung together that that is life's greatest teacher i that's i believe that i believe that that is life's greatest teacher because nothing can make you appreciate life more than that nothing that might sound. I don't know what would, I don't know what that would sound like to somebody who's lost a child. Say, yeah, I I, I certainly understand that. But it, it if you if you look at life if you look at life as you know just this one window this one life of coming here. There's amazing lessons when a child dies, and that's easy for me to say because it's not something I'm experiencing at the minute. But you know, you look at the empathy that comes out of that. You look at the, as we've already spoken, the togetherness that comes out of that. The life lessons that are taught in that situation are absolutely incredible. Like you know, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I'd be, I'd be inclined to agree with you. Um, that's not again. You know, as we've said, that's certainly not going to bring any consolation to the parents who are going through that at the minute. But you know, down the line, maybe the lessons are as you said, like, as I would believe, is to evolve your soul further on. And it might not stand to you now because, you know, you're going through an amazing pain. But I think the lessons that are involved in that are going to be, you know, what's going to evolve your soul furthest. Like, if you if you would think of maybe of that child, if, if, if you're to believe in the soul and you're to believe that, you know, we are incarnated here a number of different times, you know, what what about the idea that maybe that child, as a, as a last act, on this planet comes here, you know, has that experience where it dies young, but is just on its way to merging with God to the most transcendent experience of them all. Yeah, yeah. You know what? What? What if that's the case? Again, I'm not. I'm not saying it is, and I, you know, I'm not saying that it. I'm not saying that it is, but I'm saying that is a beautiful thought to think that maybe you know, for that child to give its life, you know, in its last act before it transcends and remerges with God. And as I said, God, I'm using the word consciousness and, you know, all of them kind of things, you know. Do you think that there's a place for science in understanding pretty much everything that you've been talking about? Or do you think that science is something else? I think science, I think science 
can be an amazing tool, but I think science on its own, you know, you know, I find it it's it's that it's as dogmatic as any of the other religions. To be honest with you, I've listened to a number of scientists and how they talk about how you know their theories aren't getting heard, their studies aren't getting um, read, and all of these kind of things. So I find with science, you know, there seems to be you know the the Richard Dawkins and the people like that. Like they seem like they have these kind of head head guys that you know whatever they say goes, and you know. For for prime example, like you've got students who are working under a scientist or whatever, and are being you know doing their college courses with them. And for that student, if he finds something that you know doesn't agree with what the what the scientist is teaching, he'll find he gets no funding, he gets none of them kind of things. Like so, I you know science science is an amazing tool, I believe, but I believe it has to work hand in hand with spirituality. I believe not everything not everything can be you know boiled down in a lab and said right this is the experiment and this is how you know this is how we'll do it like you know I, I, I don't think that can happen show me show me love in a lab do you love your partner and your child yeah absolutely well show me that in a laboratory then show me the experiment that tells you that you do yeah no because no because it I, can't be done I, I, I couldn't agree more mm. um, so you know I do I I, I I I do believe in science but I believe I believe you know science certainly can't give us the answers to them questions and to me you know to me consciousness and love and all them things are the important things in life and I don't think that science that can be done in a lab I, I, I can't see how it can be like you know yeah yeah no absolutely and I think as Peterson puts it um, science is this Science is the study of things. I'm butchering this mm. this quote now, but science is the study of things, and religion is the study of of how to act or mm. how to act amongst yeah. things, being being everything in the in the kind of physical world. Yeah. Um, but again, we keep getting mm, we're, put, drifting, uh, we're yeah. drifting, but it's it's great. Yeah, I'm loving yeah, it now. Of course, yeah. But so day one, or you know, you you spent a night. Mm. Um, you get up, you said, did you have breakfast? You have breakfast, yeah. It's kind of a light enough meal and then you've lunch. Everything you're eating is is light enough. Now, I was, I was lucky enough because when I was over there, um, like it's mostly kind of like salads and rice and that's it. Because like, as I said, you're, you're on the diet. So... Sorry, according to your, your blog, I think you're saying you're on the diet. Is it six weeks previous to going over there I in the first place? D- I done it six weeks previous to going over there. And you're, that's recommended, is it? Not really. They say about a week, but I kind of do things to the extreme when I'm doing them. <laughs> I'd be like, right, I might as well. I'm in like, it. You know. So I kind of done it. Yeah, I done it for the six weeks before I went, but no, no one else on the group had it all. Like, sure, you know, the lads I went with were stuffing the uh, cans of coke and steaks down their mouth just before the bus was going to bring us out to the jungle. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they didn't really take the diet too seriously, I suppose. Yeah. So you had mm. your your light breakfast or whatever it was. And yeah. Then what was what was that day like? So this is the second day you're there. This so you're is the taking, second day you're, you're, you're doing yeah. the doing the ayahuasca that night. That yeah. night. Yeah. So yeah. F- like you woke up presumably at, you know nine ten in the morning or so for the for the oh, whole day that you're there. Yeah, you're up. You're up earlier than that. Like I guess you're probably up. Sure, it's bright. It's bright at you know six in the morning in the Amazon jungle. Okay. Like it also well at the, at the time of the year we were there it was bright at that stage. Like so yeah, you yeah. know as I said you're just in a wooden hut like so you've no curtains or you've you know. It's not a hotel you're staying in, you know. So there's. If you're in the Amazon, it's probably twelve, twelve. Is it twelve hours night, twelve hours day? 
Yeah, would I think been, it would have been, been around that because we would have been up. We most nights I think ceremony was around seven, so it would be getting dark at seven. So it would yeah. must have been twelve at twelve. Because they know. don't seasons along the Amazon, sure they don't. It's, I it's think it's just a wet around. season. No, no, they get they obviously get their wet season and then they have their dry season, like you know. So okay, yeah, yeah, but their wet season, like the whole place gets absolutely drenched like you know as I said when you'd be walking in that path in the wet season you could be walking up in muck and water up to your neck like you know right, like right. we were lucky that as we were walking in it was just the dry season you know okay maybe I'm thinking of along the equator maybe you're on the mm. tropics or that but right. again we're, we're yeah. down another rabbit hole yeah, yeah. so are you, you're up at whatever time in the morning like that's in the 12 hours yeah between getting up and doing at this ceremony starting yeah. like what's what's going on what's the what's well you're the day doing like? I, you know you're doing down flower baths and stuff like that so they so the flower bath then during the day would be um so where the maloka is you kind of uh, there's another area off and it's kind of there's a river running through it so that's where all the flower baths are kind of done so um uh, percy's there and he's using um they use a sacred tobacco, so it's not. It's obviously not like the cigarettes you buy down in the shop, like that, full of chemicals yeah. and all that. It's the pure, pure tobacco, and that's another sacred plant for them. Like you know, and they use that for um, the cleaning of energies and things like that. You know, and is, so, is that is that the tobacco plant? Is that got that's nicotine in it, or is um, it something else? Is it something they smoke that doesn't contain nicotine? So? No, there be no there be no chemicals or anything in it. No, I think it would have nicotine because I'm okay. sure as the I'm sure as tobacco grows, it's got nicotine in it. Sure. Or yeah, no, it does. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, literally, what it is is just literally the tobacco leaf. Okay. So it's just literally the tobacco leaf, and it's just kind of rolled up like you know. But they, right. as I said, so you go down and you're in the water, and they kind of do these flower baths now, and they'd have you know each day would be a different flower bath to clean whatever kind of energies you know to for the different energies of the time so you'd go in you'd get your flower bath and they'd use this the smoke so they'd be blowing the smoke on you kind of again to clean your energies and things so you'd be doing that during the day then you'd be back up you'd probably have lunch everyone would be kind of just sitting around chatting and you know it's up up to you kind of really to fill your day then you might be reading or you might be just chatting amongst yourselves and things like that you know but right and to, yeah. to give me a bit of more of a visual on there's on no the, tvs there like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to give me more of a visual on what yeah. the, the f- flower bath is like, is it, mm. again, is it a is it a porcelain bath like you'd have in your home? No, or? no. So you you kind of come up these steps like, and Percy just has them done in kind of they're just like done in big buckets or whatever, like you know. And he's just kind of using a cup, and he's just you know you're obviously coming out of the river, and he's the steps the steps as you come up the river, and you're just there, and he's kind of just pouring the the jug of water down over your head, and he's using the um, a patch of smoke, so he's blowing it on the crown of your head, and then he blows it onto your heart. So you put your hands out, and he blows it into your heart, and uh, kind of that's just part of the, the the cleaning of the energies and that, you know. Okay, and what the when you say that it's a flower bath, there's mm. petals so, in it. Yeah, or? so there'll be all the different ones. So you know, over there they would like they would say that the Amazon provides the medicine for everything, like you know. So they would use like loads of different petals from loads of different plants or whatever, and they would it would be put into this concoction that Percy's been you know taught by different shamans to make. And again, they would say, you know, as I was saying to you earlier on, there's a hundred thousand different species of plants in the rainforest. I guess this is what I was trying to say with the making of the with the ayahuasca. They say they the question that science is asking is how did they come up with the two plants to put together, the chances of you, you know, stumbling, trial and yeah. you know, trial and error with this to come with these two plants. But what the shamans would say that originally they came, they they the medicine spoke to one of their master shamans in a dream, and it told them about the two plants to put together. 
So that's how they would they would talk about coming up with these um, with the ayahuasca. They say that it came to a shaman in a dream. So he went and he picked the vine, the vine and the chacruna leaves, boiled them all together. He was told how to do it in a dream. So that's how they would believe they came up with the medicine, like you know. Okay, you you reminded me of something there when you said that you, you boiled up the 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 mixture of these mm. two two plants. You reminded me of something that came up in the in the blog. During the blog, you said that you would have had maybe a or different people would have had varying degrees of experiences mm. some guys you know didn't have much of an experience yeah. other guys were fucking out of it yeah. and that got me thinking if you're in the amazon um and you're presumably this is when you say it's boiled mm. presumably it's in like a big pot over Massive an open fire over an open fire yeah so the measurement isn't going to be like each cup the reason someone had more of an experience than someone else could very possibly be down to the fact that there was more DMT in that cup than there was the other cup. Well, you see, when everyone's drinking, you wouldn't be given the same amount. You see, the shaman, the shamans work on the spiritual level. They would say that they they can read your energy levels, and that's okay. how they would describe it. And they would say, like, I I only ever got a half a cup. I never needed any more than a half cup, and. I was, you know, that was the most I ever needed. But some people drank two cups and didn't get the experience I got. Like, but the the shaman will know how much he needs to give you, you know. So each person can have different, or will get a different measurement of ayahuasca. I'd love to know what they base that on. Or have you any idea what they're basing it on? Do they need this, to interact with you to to decide? Or well, to decide the thing you is, up, you're or? not you're not allowed. You have to where your mattress is from. The minute you get there, that's where it stays. You can't, you know, you can't sit on this mattress one night and sit on that another mattress the other night or whatever. So unless when Percy's, you know, drinking the ayahuasca, maybe he, he's already on the medicine when he comes in and he kind of can see a visual field is what I would imagine it is. Okay, so, so he, he sees an energy field. So he has, he does take the MT. He's taking the ayahuasca with you, absolutely. Because originally, originally, before we in the West kind of started to go over there, the, the ceremonies would have been done where the shaman drank the medicine and the sick person from the village or from whatever tribe or that would have been there and they never drank. So the shaman drank the medicine and then he would have came back with the cure and he would have um, told them exactly what plants they needed or whatever, whatever it was they needed for the cure of their illness. Yeah. So that was originally how it was done, but it was as more and more people started to go over from the west, the westerners then the the westerners then began to drink it, like you know. But what the shamans would say is that the the plant is now beginning because the planet is suffering in such a way, because you know again as we said, there's there's you know there's so much suffering in the world, there's so much spiritual sickness in the world that the plant is now beginning to move out across the world as, to to heal it because you know. We're in danger of fucking this world up, aren't we? Like, you know, the things we're doing, we're drilling it to bits, we're, you know, we're, we're fucking letting off nuclear bombs and we're absolutely destroying the world. And if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to obliterate things. And that's, you know, what a lot of the shamans would say, that the, the medicine is now coming out to interact with people, to, to, I guess, wake people up. You know, that's what we talk about. We talk about there's an awakening happening on the planet. You know, and that awakening is being fueled by the psychedelics because what they're saying is these these psychedelics have a spirit, and what they're now coming out and saying is, "Use monkeys are about to wreck the place, so we need to waken you up to what you're here for because you're going down a bad path." Should we be relying on what people in the jungle taking drugs um, are are warning us about? If that if that makes sense, do you know what I mean? I mean. 
Well, we, do, we don't seem to be listening to anything else. We don't seem to be listening to the fact that, you know, we're now having extreme weather patterns and all of them kind of things. We don't seem to be uh, listening to the fact that, you know, there's a madman over in America now with his finger on a nuclear bomb. Like, are we listening is the question. Are these people listening? Have these people got a connection to, to spirit and to nature that we've forgotten about? And why are we in a world, why are we now in a world where so many, one in three people in the world in the Western world, are on antidepressants. Why? Why? Why is that? Why? Why do they not need antidepressants? You know, we we talk about us being, you know, a more advanced civilization, but you know, it depends on your perspective on life, doesn't it? And it depends on what you call advanced. Sure, we've got televisions in our sitting rooms and we've got mobile phones in our pockets and all of that. But as I said to you earlier, you know, with with the with the guide that was on Master Pichu, he says. You know, which brings you more happiness? Does the television bring you more happiness or does sitting under a billion stars every night bring you more happiness? It's all about perspective, isn't it? No, absolutely. We believe that we believe that we're, you know, that we're um, progressing at an alarming rate. But then why are so many people, you know, as we said, you know, the depressed why are they obese you know the the latest studies that are coming out now with children who were born when uh, smartphones are always around we're beginning to see that they've got no social interaction skills we're beginning to see that they're highly depressed that the suicide route suicide rates are going through the roof with these kids that doesn't sound like progress does it really if you think about it no but it is is has the world gotten to where it is and will it continue to get worse and worse because we're not taking dmt like is 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 the is our lack of taking psychedelics is that what you're is, do you think that's a big problem with the world that we're not taking that the worldwide we don't take enough psychedelics and that's why things are as bad as they are um well look to be honest with you like when you when you think back as I, you know as i used as i said to you you know every tribe and every culture has used a different has used a different plant medicine and one one of their things would have been when you were when you were in around 16 years of age um it was an initiatory rite there was a big healing ceremony done. You became sixteen, and yeah, you you took the psych- psychedelic plants or whatever. So you took the plant medicines, where you became a part of the tribe, where you beca- you begin to understand nature and your role in it. We we seem to think that we can control nature, you know. And is that because we're not having these rites of passage anymore? You know, that certainly has to be a question that needs to be asked. And I'm I'm certainly not saying that, you know, everybody needs to go out and do psychedelics and the world is going to be a better place. All I can tell you is, is that, you know, a massive amount of people that are going and doing these psychedelics are coming back talking about healing the planet. They're talking about healing themselves. They're talking about trying to live life in a different way that doesn't have such a uh, big impact on the planet. So... You know, the proof is in that situation. The proof is in, in is there, is it not, then, that people are coming back with a different frame, a different mind frame, you know, the materialistic lifestyle that so many of us have bought into. That seems to crumble when you do these psychedelic plants. So surely that's a good thing, is it not? Oh, no, absolutely. In a, in a world that seems to be falling apart. Yeah, but I, I would blame... Uh, I would blame... I suppose what's wrong with the world more to do with the fact that we've lost our sense of community and I mean mm, e- even this sure, even this like me and you chatting here mm. having this recording yeah. before I started making recordings with people yeah. I didn't have conversation mm. in my life yeah. I had you know chit chat yeah. and you know small talk Jesus Christ if mm. I ever had to do endure mm. another two seconds of small talk but I, I feel that 
our loss of our sense of being part of a community, mm. our loss of having a sense of purpose in the world and, and a whole host of other reasons have le- has left us the way it is. I certainly mm. don't think it's because we're not doing as much psychedelics as we used to. Well, no, I'm not saying that, that it's solely just down to not doing psychedelics. What I'm saying is that psychedelics certainly are going to act as, as a healing medicine for a planet that is disillusioned at the minute, that is definitely seems to be going in the wrong direction I believe that's the one thing that's the only thing because you know as I said we've seen we've seen all the different catastrophes that are happening they're happening so often now that they're just oh did you see that happen there the other day or whatever like it's just really it's just another thing that's just happened and the only thing that seems to be waking people up with that instant wake up like a click of a finger is a psychedelic experience yeah um yeah absolutely uh, you mentioned the age there that you know it was i don't know if if you just pick 16 as a, a random number no no 16 was they was kind of when they would have said that um they were ready to you know become adults and be an integral part of the tribe that's when you would have taken the psychedelic it was an initiatory right in a, in an awful lot of these tribes and I, i'm not saying every tribe but a big a, a big majority of the tribes that would have been your initiatory right would have been a psychedelic experience whether it be a mushroom or whether it be ayahuasca or whichever one it was do you feel there's a need to if you were to reintroduce something like that to push it out to 25 26 years of age given that uh, to my understanding at least that's the age when uh the scientific community is fairly well agreed upon your brain has developed forming so you know taking any kind of drug especially i suppose a psychedelic or any powerful drug should be uh maybe not taken at all up until you're you're that age 25 26 yeah i guess you know I, you know if if the science comes out to support that then absolutely like you know yeah. again as i said i i do I do want to see good science done on this, you know, but I'm also looking at the other science where it's kind of saying that the the psilocybin and all of them, you know, these things aren't having the effect on our brains that we were maybe led to believe from, you know, from the 60s and other times like that. Like what they're saying now is that there's not that there's not that thing on your brain whatsoever. Like, you know, that's what they that's what they seem to be coming. That's the data that seems to be coming out at the minute. But absolutely, if the data comes out to say that, you know, 16 is not a good age to be doing this and maybe 21 is a good age to be doing it and better for your brain. then absolutely, like I certainly wouldn't, you know, go against the science if that's what it comes out with. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, but again, you're talking you're talking about these scientists who are looking at these compounds for the first times or you're talking about these indigenous tribes that have had experience using them for 5000 or more years like you know like we've got there's cave arts in the likes of France in the likes of Siberia in all of these places um some of the cave art that are drawn on the walls I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen yeah, some of them yeah, and all yeah. but they are 100% psychedelic experiences like you know they're the same visuals you're seeing on the psychedelics they're the same everything and they're they're so that shows you how long we've been using these plant medicines so I, I would I would put my faith in a culture that's used something for 5,000 years rather than maybe science who's only just you know in its very infancy with these compounds like you know you lost me there slightly on the cave painting connection with sorry I was, I was saying that yeah so what what they're now beginning to kind of what they're now beginning to understand with the with a lot of the cave paintings that they are um they're drawings of um psychedelic experiences so they were maybe shamans who used these plant medicines and then went and drew them on the walls i'm sure you've seen the one of the i'm nearly sure it's in france and they think it's about 
I think it's about fifteen thousand years old, and it's a, it's a, um, it's a bee. So it's a, it's a bee, but it's done in a human form, and the bee has literally its whole body is covered in magic mushrooms. And what the bee was is a representation of the honey, because psychedelic magic mushrooms, how they would have, how the tribes and how cultures would have preserved these psychedelics would have been in honey. Okay. So that's so that's the representation, and that's what they're now beginning to understand with these drawings on the wall. That a lot of them were um, just psychedelic experience. That that's just I'm, the reason I was given that example was to show how long these plants have been used by different cultures throughout the world. Uh, Terence McKenna had a, has a very interesting theory called the stoned ape theory, and his his theory is that. Um, it's the bridge between consciousness. So 200,000 years ago, our brains obviously began to double in size and we began to, you know, we began to become a lot more conscious and stuff and, and that, you know. And his his theory on it is is that uh, 200,000 years at the end of the last ice age, as, um, they, as the monkeys would have been up in the trees in Africa. Now, I'll probably butcher this a little bit. No, no, I'm, I'm familiar with it, so yeah, between the two of us, we'll get right, there. Yeah, but it would have been that 200,000 years ago, the primates would have lived in the trees. And as the ice sheets began to to recede and, and um, come down, it would have had an effect on uh, their habitat and stuff. So they, with the ice sheets melting and that, they would have come down out of the trees and they began to kind of forage around on the ground rather than being in the trees. And what some of the things they were doing was hunting. They were maybe, you know, they were uh, following cows and things like that. And psilocybin mushrooms grows out of cow shit. That's where magic mushrooms grow from. And what they say, what he, what his theory on it would be, was that as as the monkeys were coming along and they were they were finding different food sources, yeah. that they would have been stumbling across these mushrooms. So they then the 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 monkeys would have then started ingesting the mushrooms. And at, at a small dose of mushrooms, um, your vision becomes better, which would have made you better, which would have made you more capable of hunting, and it would have made you, you know, it would have made you the the stronger tribe, I guess, is what you say. At, at the next higher dose of mushrooms, it makes you fucking horny, I guess, is the word you'd use for it. Like, you know, so they would have said that that would have, that would have sported a big population growth. And then at even higher doses of magic mushrooms, you would have been inducing these uh, mystical experiences, experiences of God, experiences of the transcendent. And what they then would have been then doing was, through that then we began to um, develop language. We began, we began to, uh, these drawings on the cave arts and all of these kind of things. And that's, you know, Again, I'm I'm not saying he's right, but there seems to be an awful lot of people like uh, mycologist uh, Paul Stamets. He's the lead mycologist in the world at the minute, and he, sorry, mycology is mushroom. Mycology is mushrooms. Okay. He is he's the lead mushroom expert in the world at the minute, and not not always psychedelic mushrooms. He 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 believes that this fungus has unbelievable healing properties. Uh, for you know, for getting rid of nuclear waste, for getting all of these, for getting rid of all of these things, and his, you should definitely should definitely check him out. But his um, findings are starting. To, like he's the lead man at this, and he would believe that that's kind of you know how consciousness began to expand. As I was saying, like two hundred, they've no science has no reason for why we went from being you know being monkeys to being um, conscious beings. And Terence McKenna's theory on it is, is exactly that, that the, that the psilocybin mushrooms in the grasslands of Africa, as the monkeys ingested them, it began to open consciousness and we developed language, we developed all of them kind of things. So I guess that's his theory on it, you know, so... Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very interesting uh, 
it is it is a very interesting theory. Um so again coming back to your first <laughs> yeah, your yeah, first yeah. full day there. Yeah. We'll fast forward to the the night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um so can you walk me through it like you know Presumably you were told to meet at a certain time. I mean, have you got your watch on you? Did you bring a phone? Do you have a yeah, laptop? Yeah, yeah, like, like you'd, have, you'd have your phone in that way, or whatever, but you wouldn't have had any signal, but you knew what time it was, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, usually maybe, I think about an hour before ceremony, they would have been just come round to tell you, look, you know, or, uh, ceremony's in about an hour or so, kind of get yourself ready, and you'd bring your blanket up with you, and you'd, you'd um, go up to the Maloka probably a half an hour or so before the ceremony starts, and everyone would be kind of just in there and just you'd be getting ready as, as night was kind of falling down, you know. And then, obviously, Percy would come in usually, I suppose, around 7 o'clock and that, you know, and sure he would, you know, do a, do a cleaning, cleaning of the energies again in the place using the mapacho smoke and... Um, there's oh there's a certain type of wood they burn. It's it would be I guess smell a little, little bit like incense, but it be it would be more native to um Peru. the Amazon or Peru, yeah. Okay. So that's so they would they would burn that again as another one of their sacraments, like you know. So they they'd use that and everyone would kind of sit down in the Maloka, lights would go out or whatever, and then one by one you'd be called up to to go up and drink the ayahuasca. So obviously starting to his left and working around the circle, like you know. And you'd each go up, you'd drink the you'd drink the ayahuasca or whatever, and then you'd go back down on your mattress and you'd kind of wait then for the ceremony to begin. And how long does it take from you ingesting the ayahuasca to anything happening, really, or that you're it's aware usually, of? It's usually about 40 minutes, but, I, yeah, well, I, but I better tell you, the, the taste of the ayahuasca is... <laughs> I mean, if you can think of something vile... Multiply it by a hundred, and that's what that tastes like. It's I've heard it described as before I went out there as a cross between battery acid and petrol, and I, that's exactly the only thing. I, even now, when I think about drinking it, I heave like it's it's not a nice drink to drink. That's for sure. Yeah. And the two substances you mentioned there are very man-made. I was expecting you to say that it tasted like shit or like or like mushrooms. No, mushrooms no, can no. Mushrooms, mushrooms, like mushrooms are mushrooms are a joy to eat after drinking these yolks. I drink this. Oh, it's it is absolutely. I can can't describe it properly to you. It's just. And what is it that you're tasting? So do you think? Better. I don't know. I'm not too sure. Because it's not I'm necessarily not DMT. Sure. I have heard. I have heard other people say they drank it and it and it tasted fine. You know, but right. I don't know. I don't know. The the majority of people I've heard that say they've drank it say it tastes like absolute dark. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's um, hard to describe. And what kind of volume are you talking like? Is it a shot glass or a pint glass or? It or would what, be. Like? It would be the equivalent. The cup. I guess the cup, as we said. Yeah, it was our. For I suppose people are only listening. I'm trying to show you with my fingers here, but <laughs> yeah, it would probably be maybe maybe the cup might be you know I suppose your 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 standard tea cup. Do you know what I mean? Not like your your coffee cup. Like your standard yeah, yeah. tea cup would be the size of it, okay. and then each person's given. The, sorry, the fill of that or well, I eat different depending. people are to Some okay. of the guys I was with, they would have drank full cups. I was only ever drinking half cups. So it all depends on how much Percy gives you. You know, and that's dependent on what. Aura he sees around exactly. You. Well, again, you know, I know that sounds a bit wooey or whatever, a and bit. it probably does. <laughs> but that's what he would describe it as. Yeah, that's what he would describe it as. But he seems to always get the dose right for everybody. And from your, I'm trying to put myself in in your shoes. You've, yeah, you've had this idea in your head for maybe a couple of years. Mm. You've researched the fucking yeah. to the last 
um, you're finally fucking there. Yeah, you've yeah. Dragged a couple of poor, unfortunate mm. lads with you. Yeah. Um, you're after drinking it. It's the worst thing you've ever drank mm. in your life. Was there any ever, or was there ever an element of what the fuck am I doing here? Or oh, this not, could go bad. Or not, do you yeah. trust this Percy fucker? Or yeah, to be honest, as I said, I you know from 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 doing the DMT before I'd gone there. You know, I I knew somewhat to expect not yes. exactly everything to expect but I knew what I was getting myself into like you know I knew what it was I'd had mushroom experiences before that where I'd taken high doses of mushrooms where it got quite intense so I kind of felt you know it couldn't have got much more intense than them so I'd probably <laughs> get through it you know Um I guess to be honest what, what ended up happening was what I expected I suppose either you know as it, as as each ceremony progressed, I suppose maybe it was, but yeah, de- you know, definitely not. It it yeah, there definitely wasn't fear. Like I don't think I like I, I guess with anything, you're always you know, no matter what drug I've ever taken in my life, you're always a bit apprehensive. You know, will something go wrong, or you know, will everything be okay? Like you know, but I think once as soon as I drank it, I felt okay, right? It's done now. You know, whatever whatever fears I was having, or whatever kind of you know nervousness that I was having was kind of you know it was gone at that stage. Like you know, and it was just about just sitting down and you know putting my faith in the medicine and believing in everything else that I've read and you know all the different stories that I've read from different people who've taken the medicine and all of that so you kind of keep telling yourself them you keep telling yourself the positive experiences that different people have had and the different positive experiences I've had from taking psychedelics before in my life like you know so I guess that's you know what got rid of any of the fears I may have had and the have you at this point or had you had at that point bad uh, psychedelic experiences on mushrooms or DMT? Yeah, I, or I had, yeah, I had on, I had on mushrooms and I had on acid. But again, you know, it was set and setting. I and so you mentioned that earlier, and I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with myself. But if you can just expand on that, to yeah, people who mightn't be familiar. Well, the with. set and setting is is like you know the majority of people who'll have a bad experience on a psychedelic is when you know when it's been done at a party, when it's been done where people are drinking, and it's been done where people are are partying, and then you're taking these psychedelics, and it's opening it's opening a part of your consciousness that you're certainly not prepared for in that situation. And if you think about it, if you if you are seeing if if you've taken mushrooms at a party and you begin to see a spirit or what you might think is a you know an entity in front of you, like what are you going to do other than freak out? Like you know, so with set and setting, it's all about you know knowing what you're doing, knowing what the plant is and what the story is behind the plant. You know, I guess your set then is being in a place where you're where you're comfortable, where you know it's you're you're relaxed you've maybe got you know your own music it's not at a party it's it's with people maybe who've ex- had these experiences before who kind of know what they're getting involved in so you know that's your setting setting you and it's about going in with the with the right intentions as well but you're to ha- so am i right in saying this that your your set is essentially the room that you're in and that you're familiar and you're comfortable with and your setting is your 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 mind frame your that you're mind in the frame. right place yeah yeah that you're in the right place yeah how is being surrounded by strangers in the middle of a jungle 
taking a drug that you'd never really taken before. I know you had done DMT before, mm. but you hadn't done like an ayahuasca ceremony yeah. before. How could that be the right set? Or well, I was there. Well, I was there with three of my mates. Like you know, and as yeah. I said, I'd done the research. I'd done the research, and I understood that I was with an experienced shaman, like a shaman that came from a long lineage of of other shamans. He'd been trained for. He started drinking ayahuasca when he was fourteen. I think he's forty now. Like you know, so this is this is what he does like you know so I had every faith in him I'd done my research I'd done all of them things I didn't walk out into the jungle and just pick up a pick up a shaman at the airport and just say you're not a shaman are you do you want to <laughs> go out and drink some ayahuasca like I'd done my research so I'd prepared for my satin setting like you know I knew I was going to somewhere where healing had happened before and with somebody who was very trusted and somebody who's we- very well respected within the shamanic um community like you know yeah yeah so you've you've taken your your teacup full or yeah, half yeah. teacup full you sit down were you expecting it to kind of hit you because you, you had smoked it previously and my understanding of when you smoke dmt instant. It, it hits you like a it's brick instant. basically as you yeah. said instant when, when you smoke dmt you literally me and you could smoke dmt now mm. and in 15 minutes we'd be back to exactly normal as we are it is the strongest psychedelic on the planet, and yet it sends you on a rocket ship to what everybody describes as another dimension. Yeah. Fifteen minutes later, you're back to base. No other drug on the planet can do that to you. No other drug. But the difference with drinking ayahuasca and smoking, and drinking ayahuasca and smoking DMT is that the the ayahuasca is an eight hour ceremony, and the the the, the DMT is. It's as I said. It's a fifteen-minute rocket ship. When you smoke it, yeah. Now, I my I my feeling is is that with the ayahuasca, there's there's so much more learning involved in it. There's so much more healing involved in it. The the DMT is something that if you want to have a look at a different reality, you can smoke that and it'll give you that. But it doesn't give you it doesn't give you the same insights. It doesn't give you the same introspection to your life. It doesn't give you any of the lessons that the ayahuasca gives you. What it what it makes you do is believe that this reality we live in can absolute is definitely not the only reality that's out there. Yeah. But it you know, but where the ayahuasca is much more of a healing thing. The ayahuasca will show you, you know, the things you've maybe done bad in your life, how you've maybe treated people in your life, and it'll show you how they felt when you were doing what you were doing, which can absolutely change the way you want to live your life. So, you sit back down onto your mattress. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And how long does it take to go around the circle? So, presumably, you take turns on... On drinking, drinking, yeah, so yeah. So in, it can in, take in ten 20 minutes, minutes, twenty, okay, yeah, maybe, yeah. About you see again, you know, as you said, like you're not really checking your your watch too often, like. Yeah, but of I course. suppose you know if everyone's up there for you know you know two minutes or whatever, and you have twelve people, maybe probably about twenty minutes, a little under twenty minutes, I'd imagine. So and between first and last person drinking. And where else? I was just going to ask you, where were you in that pecking order? You I first, was probably last? half. I was literally directly across, so I was kind of nearly straight across from Percy. So I would have been halfway there. I would have been halfway there. Yeah. Okay, so you so maybe six, maybe five or six in the in the circle, I suppose. So that would put you. 20 minutes ahead of the first person that took it am I right in saying that 20 minutes after the first person that took it well yes, I suppose 10 if, minutes after the first person that okay took so it. if you're 10 minutes after 10 the minutes first, before the last but if you're 10 minutes 
after the first person taking it and it takes about 40 minutes to kick in. Mm. What I'm trying to get a feel for is are you or would the last guy to take it be sitting there watching somebody else trip no, balls? It's, it's, no, 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 it's, it's, it's a very... It, 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 like any any psychedelic you ever take, they they usually come in waves. Yes, yeah, so, so it's that, literally yeah. you know it's it, it's a gradual build up, and then it leaves off a little, and then it gets stronger, and then it eases off, and then okay. it gets stronger, and it eases off, and then boosh, you know you're away, like you know. But you've you know from from the minute the last person stops drinking, you know Percy starts singing the Icaros, and he's got he's got this um this shikapra, which is this kind of fan he uses, and it kind of makes a sound of. <laughs> And he's using that then again, you know, to 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 sing the healing songs for people, like you know, and that's what kind of eases you in your when they when when the visions get quite intense. That's what keeps you grounded. The Icaros are what keeps you kind of grounded in reality. That you kind of you listen into them, like you know, and they kind of they bring you back, like you know. But he he uh, Percy has a um, a lady that sings with him. And she has been taught these Icaros as well by the plants, and he, she does most of his singing. And Matilda is her name, and she has a voice like, like it's very hard to describe. But the the sounds that that woman can hit, and the healing that that woman produces in people is again, you know, it's something you have to see to believe. You know, I'm sure a lot of your, you know a lot of people listening, you know, probably think a lot of this is bullshit. But then. It's different when you've been there and you've seen the healing. Like I've seen women go out there who are probably my mother's age, who'd never had a drink in their life, go out and drink the strongest psychedelic known to man. And I've seen them women go through some of the hardest emotions that are humanly possible to go through. But every one of them women walked out there healed, healed and grateful for life again you know grateful for getting rid of whatever you know whatever them emotions that they'd bottled up over the years and all of them things were and that's that's why i talk about healing you know again at the start and we kind of went off the subject i was telling you about my hand yes so i had 20 stitches in my hand and on the first night so on the first night i seen so as the vision the vision started coming on it was as if you know, I, I was lying back on my mattress or whatever, and it was as if this, you know, it was like this kind of machine came over me. And all of a sudden, like, there was just these four, what I can only describe as entities. That's all, you know, that's... It's very hard to find a language for this, like, you know, and that's what most people will always say after they've done psychedelics. We don't really have the language to put this experience out there properly. There's yeah. no language to describe it, really. But I can only describe them as what as entities you know and they were all of a sudden they were kind of they were oh yeah so they were working on my hand but before i'd gone in there and drank i'd had 20 stitches in my hand 15 days before that so i couldn't i couldn't move my thumb i couldn't like my thumb was in a cast up until then and i couldn't couldn't move my my thumb any more than that there like you know very just a a mill or two very very little like and i could see these four spirits working on me and as I left, after, when the ceremony was finished that night, I walked out at Maloka and I made a full fist, no problem with my hand whatsoever. I asked the doctor, I had to come back to, when I got back from there, I went to the doctor in Navan because I had to get a report done for work back in Australia to get the case closed off or whatever. And I said it to her, I said, look, this is what I'm after doing or whatever. I said, can, can you explain how that happened? Like, you know, and she said to me, she said, I have no explanation as how that happened if you had had 20 stitches in your hand 15 days before that 
you know, she goes, well, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. And she just brushed to the side and just went on writing out whatever she had to write out. And what do you, what do you think happened there? I'm not sure. I'll, you know, I can only, I can only tell you what my experience was. My experience was that I seen four entities working on my hand and I walked out of there able to make a full fist afterwards. Were you, were you told, because I mean, if you, if you had had 20 odd stitches 15 days previous, it would have been fairly obvious to Percy and whoever else that was there that you had an injured hand. I had a cast on my hand. Oh, so okay. I had a plastic, I had a pl- plastic protective cast on my hand going in there. Okay. Yeah. So was there mention prior to having done the ceremony that, you know, your hand would be better afterwards? Or, no, nothing or any, like that. anything of the sort? On, 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 the, on the first day of the baths and stuff like that, so when you're, when you're talking to Percy, this is before you drink, we each go in there with our intentions, I suppose. So Percy wants to know, you know, you know what what's your intention for drinking ayahuasca? What what are you looking for healing for? What are you looking for anything like? You know what is it that you're here for? Like you know, and I I never even mentioned my hand. Like to be honest with you, like you know, I was I said that look, I I I'm out to find meaning in life. Like you know, I want to find, you know, what's my purpose in this life? Like you know, that's that's what I asked for. But I never mentioned my hand. Yeah, you know, but as I said on the first ceremony, it was like these four. It was these four entities that that came. That that's what I could see in my vision, like you know, and they were working on my hand for what seemed like ten minutes or so, ten fifteen minutes, and then they began to work on. They asked me had I any other injuries, and I was like, and this is all done in your own mind, like it's nearly your own mind asking you, you know. Do you know what I mean? It's as if it's telepathically done. Like these entities are there and they're speaking through your mind, yeah. Yeah, you know they're asking you the question. You know, is there any more injuries? And I said, no, not that I know of. And it seemed like they worked down on my lower back for what seemed like maybe thirty seconds, and then it was go- that was gone. Like you know. And when you say they they worked on your lower back and they they worked on your hand, and and I know that the words will probably fail you as mm. they tend to fail yeah, everyone yeah. who speaks to these experiences. Mm. Um, like were were they you know stitching your hand? I, were I, they I, touching it's your hand? It's, it's, it's just a feeling. You just. It's it's nearly like it's a knowing. Yeah, it's sense. nearly like it's a sense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a knowing that that's what they're doing. They were working on my hand. Like they were all fixated on my hand. Like you know, and it was whatever was happening there, whatever healing was happening there. They were doing what they were doing, and at the same time, there's other visuals going on around you. Like you know, it's nearly like it's nearly like they're distracting you from 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 the actual healing that's going on, and they're showing you these visions or whatever, and that's as a distraction, really. Like, but you, you're seeing what's going on around you, like you know. And can you describe the other uh, visuals that you saw, or again, do words fail you, or? Um, to be to be honest with you, um, I suppose, and, and, and this is this sorry is to go across you, but you, you you're in are you in complete darkness? Complete there for darkness. This? Everything everything's okay. in complete darkness. Okay. All with the, with the psychedelics, all the work is done internally. So you're going inside, like you know, you're you're going in. It's done in the dark. That's where you get the visuals from, like you know. Um, I guess my my you know, and this is this is the weird part of the story. I guess like my visual for the first night where were absolutely horrendous like they were absolutely hellish is the only way I can describe them and they were very very demonic um kind of sexual kind of visuals so they were like they weren't they certainly weren't nice anyway like you know and I you know I began to question then all of a sudden I was like this is this is like the fucking devil to be honest with you like what the hell am I after doing here like you know I'm after telling everybody you know, at home, and you know, I'm after bringing my three mates out here, and I'm after telling them that you know this is going to be a lovely spiritual experience and all this. And I was getting these, 
you know, straight from hell visuals, like, you know. And um, that was kind of, that was the first two nights, really, like, you know. We obviously, after after each night, after each night of the eight hours, you're kind of, you're in there for maybe about six hours, I suppose, and they do a personal healing over you at the end of each night or whatever, like, you know. So I left there, left there the first night, and I was like, "Geez, that's <laughs> that's fucking not at all what I was expecting." Like you know, and the other lads have been getting kind of nicer visuals, and other people were getting nicer visuals, and I was like, "The fuck is all this about?" Like you know, this is this isn't what I signed up for, really. Like you know, yeah. so kind of that happened the first night, and then the second night again, that kind of happened. You know, so. The second night was the night where, as I said to you, one of the guys that was with me, where the darkness came into the, where the darkness kind of came into the Maloka, like, you know. And what I, what, I, what ended up happening was, was after after he seen the shaman kind of moving this energy out of the Maloka and kind of pushing it out the door, he started to get, he started to feel, like, violently sick, like, you know. So he went out into the toilet and he was, he was, he said he was actually spewing his guts up out the toilet or into the into the bucket and actually it was coming out of him and diarrhea out the toilet like you know and so he kind of said at the time he was just like it just felt like like this like badness coming out of him that's the only way he could really describe it like he said it was like badness coming out of him so he was coming back in and he just says right fuck it he says i'm going to get another cup of this and i'm going to just see exactly what's going on so he went up got another cup of the ayahuasca off Percy and he went down and he lay on his mattress and he said as soon as he started to lay down or whatever, he said all of a sudden he started going through what he could only describe as just dimensions, like, you know, just a portal. And all of a sudden, exactly like the DMT, it was as if he kind of broke free and what he describes as mother ayahuasca and it's the same description that everybody else who has this experience describes it as like you know and she said welcome back old friend why you've been away for so long and she went on to explain to him that you know he struggled a lot through his life with 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 drink and drugs and all of them kind of things like and she told him that they are they're they're the demons in you that we all carry around with us every single one of us carry around these demons with us and how we how the demons survive is that we feed them. So the more drink and the more drugs and the more shitty food and the more of all of them kind of things that we, you know, that we put into our bodies, that that's how you feed your demons. And the only way to feed or the only way to kill your demons is to starve them. So she explained all of this to him and she said, look, you know, the, the things you've done in your life have all been part of your path. They've all been part of your the evolution of your soul and she kind of then more or less told him that now he needed to go and get rid of them the rest of them kind of demons get so you know again as i said he'd have purged so he went back out and he said he purged an awful lot of that out but that all kind of happened to him over the second night and as i said i was getting all the demonic shit like i was like this is no this is fucked i was with my with my bet my best mate came at me and i was telling him me and him kind of had gone back to our hut uh before uh, John came back, and I was just like, I said, fuck Sorry, this, this. is the first night? This, sorry, this is the this second is the, okay, night. Okay, second night, yeah. This is the second night, and I was saying, I was saying to my mate, like, I said, I'm out here, I said, this is a load of bullshit, I said, <laughs> I'm not doing this fucking, I said, this isn't what I, or what I thought was going so to this, be. Sorry, you know? this, just to be clear, this is you had, this is you after having two bad trips, two serious, Yeah, two bad trips or whatever, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so two bad trips, and we were back down in the hut talking, and all of a sudden the door kicks open, open like, you know, and uh, John comes in and he's got 
tears rolling down his face and he's got a smile like I can you can't even imagine and he grabs me and he starts hugging me and he's thanking me for bringing him out there and I'm like he says I'm fucking out here I says what are you on about and he's like what and I was like, I says, nah, fuck this. I says, this isn't. I says, this isn't what I thought it is. I says, I'm out here, like, and he's there. Whoa! He says, sit down here till I tell you a story. <laughs> he says, he says, if any cunt needs to get this experience, it's you after bringing all of us out here. So he obviously proceeded to tell me that story or whatever. And I says, right. I says, look. I said, I'm drinking it once more. And I says, after that, I'm done. I says, I'm not doing it again. If I get the same again, I said, I'm out here. I was missing my girlfriend. You know, I was missing... I had been on this diet for six fucking weeks. So yeah, I had yeah, eaten yeah. nothing other than lettuce. So I was, you know, I was like, nah, fuck this. So I says, right, I'll do the, do the third ceremony. And I says, if it doesn't go any better, I'm done. So on the, on the third day... um we came down or on the third day the shaman came down and he was doing a um he was showing us how to make the the shikapras you know the thing i was telling you that he uses the fan the, type, the fan thing. type yeah. thing yeah so he was showing us how to make the shikapras or whatever and at the end of it he was going to sing an an, an ikaro over us right so i was sitting there and everyone so you lay down and he done an individual ikaro over you so i was lying down there and he's singing this ikaro over me and he's got the fan blowing he's got the smoke going on my face the whole bag like it all and all of a sudden just these this just thoughts started flooding my brain like at a hundred mile an hour it was saying you're here to heal for somebody you're here to heal for somebody it's somebody who's been uh sexually abused that you know that's what you're here to heal for and i was like what the fuck so then that kind of part of the thing was open and we went back up to the hut like you know so I was kind of telling John and John was saying well because I in my head was going am I is that just the ego kind of making this up like am I kind of you know am I just imagining that or mm. you know is it really happening and John was saying well look you need to figure it out then or whatever so I went to I went to Morrow who was the uh, translator for Percy and I said look I says I want to have a, have a meeting with Percy and I, I obviously need you to be there because I need to talk to him I need course, to yeah. try and figure this all out like you know so he says right after the flower bath today I'll organise for Percy to have a meeting with you so we done the flower baths and everyone kind of went back up up to their huts or whatever and it was kind of me Morrow and Percy that were there and um, I says look I says, all I'm seeing is absolute hellish. I says, the, the visions are all just sexually demonic. They're all, I says, it's, it's bullshit, to be honest with you. And he goes, to, Percy said to me, he said, you know, had you have you ever been molested as a child? And I said, no, I says, I never was. Like, you know, he says, was anyone close to you? And I said, I was. And he says, you're here to heal for them. He asked me. So you said I was there. There was, there was, there was somebody okay. you know that I was be, would be very close to that had been sexually abused, you know, and he, you know, he said to me, I was there to heal for them, right, right. So I was there going, right. so that you know, you can imagine that was kind of I was like, right, okay, and so he kind of I got speaking to him. And I said, look, I've been doing this diet for six weeks, and he he says, look, he says everybody this plant this spirit calls people out here and that's why you've been called out here is to heal for that person so i said i says right so what what do i kind of need to do and he said as soon as or when you're drinking the ayahuasca you need to keep that person's name in your intentions that's what you're that's what you need to keep saying that you're drinking for that's the person you're here to drink for like you know so this was on on the third ceremony then i went in and we were getting our cups, so I was keeping that person in my intentions or whatever. But up on up until then, the two nights before that, everybody else had been 
purge and either getting sick in their bucket around me or, you know, diarrhea down the toilet. You know, and that's you the purge. Nothing. Not right. a bit, right. And I, we, you know, obviously I was talking to all the lads like, and they were saying, look, you're probably after doing the fucking diet. Your body doesn't need, your body doesn't need the purge. We're all purging because we've been eating steaks and drinking cans of Coke the day yeah. before we got here. But you've obviously been on the diet, so you don't need it, like, you know. So I literally... On the third day then, I drank the cup, was keeping that person in my intentions or whatever. And all of a sudden, they was like, that that kind of machine was put over me again. And it, it didn't seem like they were focusing on any one area or whatever. But it just it just felt like them entities were there again and they were just thinking. It was much, much shorter, much, much shorter than the last time. And then all of a sudden, my stomach just began to gurgle. Like, I was like, oh, right. And then I started going, <laughs> then I started going, Jeez, am I just tripping now or a thing? And then it just went like it was bubbling. And I went, fuck, I need to get to the toilet, you know? Yeah. So got me light, got out to the toilet. And all of a sudden, literally, not, never once did I get sick out there. Everything came through the other end. Right, yeah. And it was nasty. It was <laughs> not nice, to be honest with you. That's, yeah, yeah, it wasn't nice. Like, so this went on for a while. And then, so kind of done what I had to do was coming out and I was walking kind of in in the Maloka it's all so everything's done in a wooden structure so outside the kind of Maloka there's pathways done down to the toilet or whatever like you know and it's all just made out of wooden you know wooden uh, sticks and stuff like you know right so I was just literally just standing there and all of a sudden it was like my hands were were glued onto it I, I literally couldn't move from it and I the visions I was getting, I was getting the most hellish demonic visions that I can ever describe. It looked like I was standing at the gates of hell. That's what it looked like. And I literally could see that demon that fucking molested that person. That's what it felt like to me. And I sat for a good hour. Everyone, was, everyone the next day was telling me that they could hear me. I was spitting down at the console. I was. And uh, Verbally or physically? or oh, Physically. Like, I was on. Like, I was highly on the ayahuasca at this stage like yeah, you know yeah. and the visions I, I could see it there like you know and it was right in front of me or whatever so I was standing out there like uh, John came out with me and he was standing and I was kind of telling him what had kind of happened and he was there we were talking for ages like just chatting through things going through things so he stood with me for ages and then he went in and then Maro came out and Maro came out and he was like look you know I, you know, I know what you're going through I know what you're going through this is hard that you're going through but you know what you're doing is good like you know so this went on for I, I don't know how long I was out there for I guess it was maybe an hour or two so the ceremony's still going on inside people are going through just experiences in there like you know so at the very end of it then they they, they came out for me and they said they brought me through this personal healing at the end of every ceremony they do they do a personal healing on you like you know yeah. so I was kind of brought in and I was I was on on my mattress so I'm, kneel, I'm kneeling down on the end of my mattress and the lady Matilda she literally puts these chimes. She's got these chimes, right? And she puts these chimes over my head and she starts blowing the smoke at me and she's singing this echo over my head. And literally like that, it went from the absolute pits of hell to what I can only describe as absolutely heaven. I got transported through these different dimensions or what seems like different dimensions, whatever you want to call it, like, but through these different dimensions and I broke through. And when I came up, there was literally... There was just these all these entities around me, and I'm I'm literally on the edge of my mattress, rattling. I'm just shaking, right? 
And with, with euphoria, is it? With euphoria, with energy, like I've never felt. I felt like at that time I could have picked this planet up, scrunched it into a ball <laughs> and kicked it the far side of the universe. I've never felt energy like it. So I'm lying there and I'm, you know, this is all going on around me. And all of a sudden, this lion, this lion comes to me. And the lion is done, it's all done in the colours of the chakras. So half and half done in the colours of the chakras. But it's broken down into, I guess, little geometric patterns. And each each little pattern is another lion. And this lion is roaring in my face. And this woman, she's got these chimes playing over my head. And the whole... The whole works is going on, like you know, and she finish when she finishes and she lifts lifts the chime off. Whatever, I literally just collapsed down on my mattress. I was literally never been I wrecked after, it, like absolutely wrecked after. It. And when I when I spoke to Percy, you know, afterwards or whatever, like he he said to me that each you know that each one of us has a spirit animal, and that was my spirit animal coming to me. That was that line came to me during that ceremony. So that's that was the third ceremony that we done, and afterwards then we were kind of back down to the back down to the hut or whatever. But from then on, every night that I sat on that on the thing afterwards, my my visuals were going on twelve hours. Everyone else's were probably maybe doing six or seven, but mine were going on for twelve hours of celestial. I guess gods is all you can really call them, like you know. And if they were going on, if your visuals were going on for twelve plus hours, that would have brought you into daylight. Hours. Daylight. I was still so every 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 day afterwards there would be a there would be a circle where everyone would go up. Everyone would have slept and they would have went up and they'd be sharing their experiences and all of that kind of stuff. Like, but I was going up there not having slept. Like you know, I was sleeping literally. I wouldn't sleep till maybe seven o'clock that evening and seven or maybe eight o'clock that evening, and then I'd be awake again at five o'clock the next morning to go be drinking ayahuasca again. Like I, I wasn't getting much sleep out there. I was eating loads because the boys weren't eating much of the food, but I was eating loads. Like, but I wasn't getting much sleep out there. You know, but my my visuals definitely seem very different than the majority of people that were there especially well definitely the lads I was with anyway like you know the visuals in if you're in complete darkness mm. I'd imagine the visuals appear to you in the same sense that dreams appear to people when they're asleep you're kind of you're kind of in it but if you're awake yeah. and it's bright like do the things you see you know walk on the ground are they, you know, in the sky? Are they They're in, in your dimension? Or? I would imagine, you know, I think it's a, it's it's definitely a different dimension. As I said, like these people have used these plants to enter the spirit world. That's how they describe it, and that's exactly what it feels like. That's what it looks like. You know, it's 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 happening within your mind. Like you know, it's happening. But the the, the visuals specifically. Are you familiar with they're internal? They're internal. The visuals. So you don't. They're not superimposed on, no, on no, reality on no, your vision. No, no, no. Okay. You're lying there with your eyes closed, and it's happening as real. Okay, as so it's it's bright outside, but your eyes are closed. During the ceremony, no. Well, no. But the, if the the ceremony is during the night, but you were saying you were like tripping for twelve hours plus, or seeing visuals for twelve hours. Yeah, plus. The vi- like the visuals, you know, the visuals will begin to wear off. You know, my visuals would probably begin to wear off at around five o'clock, six o'clock, as it got bright. Really, the visuals okay. began to kind of 
begin to ease off or whatever and then completely stop but I'd still be just still tripping but not not seeing them visuals like do you know if you've ever taken any other psychedelics like you know the you know things seem like they're breathing and they're moving and you know you can see kind of trails behind things like you know I've seen trails already yeah. I've, I've written my name in mm, front of me with my hand exactly and so like they, they would be the visuals at that stage like them them visuals what I would call celestial visuals you see in the shamanic culture, there's there's the upper realm of the gods and the divine, and then there's the lo- there's the lower realm of the of the of the spirit world, like you know. So they they break it up into three, like you know. They say that there's the lower realm, the middle realm, which is which is the you know the reality we're in now, and then there's the, the divine realm, the upper realms of of consciousness, like you know. So heaven and hell, essentially. Heaven and hell, I guess. Yeah. Reality hell, somewhere yeah, in the middle. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that's it. But the 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 visuals of the heaven, like so, f- most of the times I drank and I was in in the maloka and in during the ceremony, it was all it all seemed like I was all taking part in the lower realms. And then as soon as that personal healing would be done on me, it would go to the higher realms, and they would last for nearly to the point where at the end I was just you know glad for them to be over. Like you know, glad for them to be over. I'd always go back and I'd sit and sit on the sit on our hut and I'd have my music playing as I all the like what it seems what it seems is that is is that you know the music directs the visuals like the music plays a, a big part in the visuals like you know yeah so I'd always have my music and you know um back on the hut when I go back like you know and it was always you know I guess it it enhanced the experience I suppose but it, you know if 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 you if you kind of take what science is saying is in that everything is a wave and a particle that everything is energy that's just a wave and a particle then what what the shamans and that say is that what the ikros and the music are doing is they're they're changing your vibration we're all we're all vibrating at a, at a level and that's you know that's what the wave and the particle is like you know and you're a vibration so what music is is, is is it's a sound it's another vibration that's enhancing your vibration it's lifting you up and when you're on the psychedelic it's it's lifting up the vibration of the experience like you know yes yeah, so- Basically tuning into a different frequency, frequency I suppose. Yeah. Frequencies, exactly. Is it, is it Terence McKenna that uses that analogy that were radios of some description or almost antennas that are Graham so, Hancock. Graham Hancock, Hancock says okay. That, you know, Graham Hancock would say that what what our brain is 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 a is a is a radio receiver, a receiver of consciousness. So when you something similar to what I suppose I was saying, like when you take the psychedelic you're 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 changing the channel fuck was that <laughs> uh, there's, the, there's the gods talking to you <laughs> when you when you take the psychedelic it's like changing the channel you're tuning into a new frequency right are you a fan of Hancock I am a big fan of Graham Hancock Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson yeah definitely Randall Carlson I like mm. Terence and Dennis McKenna yes. I'm not overly familiar with you've 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 uh, very kindly let me Terence McKenna's book yeah, Food, Food of the Gods, of gods. I'm looking forward to get stuck into yeah, that. Yeah, that, that, as I said, that will tell you of all the different tribes and cultures that have used, you know, these plant medicines. And the way the way that we then in the West, it goes through even the drugs that we use in the West, like, you know, like obviously cocaine and different kind of things, heroin and different bits like that. And I guess his, his theories are is, are we all wired to have these transcendent experiences? It's just we in the West are using the wrong drugs to get there. And, you know, when you take, when you take, you know, 
I guess the likes of cocaine and and different kind of drugs like it it seems like you're chasing something that you never find and maybe that's because the brain is wired to have this experience through psychoactive plants and your it it knows itself you know when it's not getting the right drug so we're in the west using the wrong drugs to try and have the experience that these tribes would have had maybe you know over the last five or ten thousand years yeah, yeah. And that would be his theory on it. He would say that we are using the wrong drugs to have the transcendent experiences that, you know, we're wired to have. And sorry, this is Hancock again? Or this, this would be Terence McKenna. McKenna. Sorry, this would okay. be Terence McKenna. Terence McKenna is an ethnobotanist, and so is Dennis. Dennis is highly into science. Dennis McKenna, so Terence is now dead, but, but Dennis is doing some amazing uh, scientific work with, with all of these plant medicines. He's, he's making a big push to get all these legalised as therapeutic. Yeah, that's yeah. what he believes. He believes they are medicines. He originally, you know, they believed in, in nothing, like, you know, they didn't believe in anything. Um, my again, my very limited understanding of the McKennas is that they're bona fide scientists, um, but with more more so Dennis and okay. Terence. Terence um, was um, was an ethno. I think ethnobotanist is is that the word I'm thinking? I'm not sure what what is that. But it would be more into the it would be more into the um, the science of plants and stuff like that. Okay, where, but but a scientist it is he would be a scientist, yeah. But where Dennis is, you know, would be considered the far greater of the scientists. Like he is into neuroscience. He's into is he, all is he a of chemist by trade. I'm not too sure now. He okay. could be what what a lot of his work involves is is where pharmaceutical companies would have sent him out, and and I guess that's what. Uh, Terence would have done as well would have been where pharmaceutical companies would have sent them out into the Amazon to find different cures to do like every 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 tablet we take like every tablet you buy in the shop whether it's paracetamol whether it's anodin whatever the hell it is like they are all just literally chemical compounds of plants that we have found in the Amazon rainforest that's what they are we've 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 struck it's it's no different than LSD what LSD is is synthesized um, psilocybin so we've literally taken these plants we've understood how their molecular uh, structure is made up and we've then made that chemically yeah yeah so what well, I guess what a lot of people who would you know would be into the the plant medicines would say is that by doing that you're you're losing as you said earlier you're you're distilling the effect aren't you like you know because it's it's done chemically and it's done in a lab like but if these plants like the shaman say if each plant has a spirit in it and the spirit is the healer then you're losing you're losing the spirit of the plant by making it in a laboratory and i've always found with lsd anytime i've used lsd i've had amazing experiences on lsd but it's always felt chemically it doesn't feel it doesn't feel alive like like a like an ayahuasca or a magic mushrooms um ceremony feels it always feels chemically it feels like it's not alive where where the others are alive is lsd synthesized psilocybin synthesize it's psilocybin or oh it begins with that mescaline that's okay. what it is sorry lsd is synthesized mescaline i think right yeah um, the mushrooms have taken were all psilocybin. Psilocybin cubensis, yeah. Um, is there a difference, do you know, in the mescaline, in how it affects you? Or? The, me- the mescaline would have been, um, would would be peyote. So what the Native American Indians would have used would have been a peyote. So that was their plant medicine and their entrance into the spirit world. 
I'm not so sure that it's as visual as the psilocybin. Now I've n- I've never done I've never done um I've never done any of the so how do you think of the masculine the, the masculine but the uh, the peyote I've never done a, like a peyote ceremony so I'm not so sure how much how many how much visuals they are I'm I think the psilocybin would be much more visually based right. It's it's funny the are you familiar with the the fly agaric mushroom? The fly agaric mushroom, yeah. Would you believe a massive one of them grew in my front garden <laughs> Go away, yeah, about yeah. a fortnight ago, yeah. over three or four days? Yeah. Um, I had every intention of drying it and consuming yeah. it, but I made the fatal flaw of putting it in the hot press. And I'd say about forty hours later, I came back and it was infested with maggots. Right, yeah, yeah. I have a video of it. Yeah, I can show yeah. you. Absolutely infested. Yeah, yeah. But um. Do you know? Do you know? You know, like with say, um, like with Hinduism, uh, they used they used um, the Anamita muscaria mushroom called soma. So an awful lot of the Hindu texts are ba- well. Some people say there's there's if if you re- if you read the Upanishads, which is one of the one of the scriptures of um, Hinduism, they talk about the soma plant. And if you if you've heard of in Greece, you know the Eusilian mysteries. No. The Eusilian Mysteries would have been where the likes of uh, Plato, um, you know, a lot of the philosophers of, of that time, they would have went and they had these they had these big ceremonies in in, um, in Greece, but they would have been for the, uh, you know, the more upper class of the time, like I guess the aristocrats or whatever you'd like the to call them or gen- whatever, yeah, whatever you'd like to call them. But these, you went and these were all, these were all uh, ceremonies that were done and they would have all been using psychoactive mushrooms. That was a part of this week-long ceremony that they'd done. They'd done, there was different kind of things, and they said it was all about opening consciousness in a way. So as I say to you, we, we've used these plant medicines throughout history, throughout the world, like, you know, like even as far, like with, with Greece, and the, you, you should definitely look that up, the Eusilian Mysteries, and as I said, with Hinduism and Buddhism, there's, there's, massive talk of psychedelic use in, in each of them philosophies so there is like soma is the plant but they say soma was made up of a number of different psychoactive plants but some of the study they some of the studies they've done would say that there are anamita muscaria mushrooms and then other people would say it would be a brew like ayahuasca but done in a different way like you know yeah yeah so we've used we've used ways of altering our consciousness throughout history throughout history it's been used Getting back to Graham Hancock. Yeah. Does he get more criticisms than the other men that we've mentioned? Um, I, I Graham Hancock does because he's not... Apparently he's not science. Anything Graham Hancock comes out with would be considered pseudoscience. Yes, that's why I but suppose I'm, I'm, when you, I'm not when a fan. You, when you speak to... Like, Graham Hancock has given multiple um, explanations of where he's gone to scientists and he's been saying, OK, science and different archaeology... All, all, different archaeologists and that. And has asked them the question, OK, so... In all, of, have you read any of his books, Fingerprints of the Gods? No, Fingerprints no, One and Two, absolutely incredible, incredible reads. And absolutely done to a point where it's nearly... It's nearly too much information and time, but he's done this so that he's shown everywhere he's getting his proof from, so that scientists can look at this and archaeologists can look at this and say, right, uh, this is, you know, this is obviously where his line of thinking is coming from. Yeah. And he has been 
absolutely ridiculed on radio by different scientists and archaeologists. And then when he's approached them and he's asked them, OK, well, what part of my work do you most disagree with? And none of them have even read the book. None of them have read his books. None of them have read his theories. None of anything. But yet they've all told him he's wrong without reading any of his stuff. But, Graham, you know, with the way archaeology is going now and the different kind of the different technologies that we've now had that we now have the the information that Graham Hancock was coming out with 30 years ago where people were saying was absolute pseudoscience and bullshit is all beginning to be proved right now like you know we with the finding of Gebekli Tepe have you heard of Gebekli Tepe? Yeah yeah I'm very familiar yeah, with it yeah Gebekli Tepe in Turkey like you know that that was a a stone monument bigger that, that site is bigger than the pyramids in Egypt that was purposely built purposely buried 12 and a half thousand years ago yeah far earlier than we previously knew civilizations well, had exactly and large I, towns there. exactly and I guess Graham Hancock's theory on the whole thing is that Twelve and a half thousand years ago, where we believed that that was the beginning of our society, that where we became conscious beings and we began to have culture and all them kind of things. What Graham Hancock said, believes, and many, many other geologists and um, people along that, archaeologists, all of these people are now starting to come to the thinking of that twelve and a half thousand years ago, there was a cataclysm on this planet that happened due to a meteor impact. Mm. And... What that done was was the society that was before then, when the meteor hit that, when the meteor hit the planet twelve and a half thousand years ago, the ice sheets that were in North America at the time were two miles thick. Yeah. So the archaeologists would say, well, we've no, we've no evidence of a of a crater impact like we do in the Yucatan for when the, the dinosaurs, uh, dinosaurs were yeah. wiped out. Exactly. So what Graham Hancock is saying, and what a lot of these geologists and all are now starting to come to the conclusion of, is that the meteor would have hit the ice sheets in North America causing instant floods. So massive floods that would have wiped out a massive proportion of people on the planet. You look at every culture, whether it's the Native American Indians, whether it's the Mazatecs, yeah, the they, Incas, all had their flood they myths, all yeah. talk about flood myths and they all have them as part of their history. So what Graham Hancock and them believe is that that's what happened. The meteor hit 12,500 years ago, caused massive flooding of the ice sheets and what that was was a rebooting of society. So our society had to begin again twelve and a half thousand years ago. It wasn't that that's when we started. It, started, it yeah. was a rebooting of society, and that that would be Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson theory. And if you look at if you watch the the um, podcast with um, Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock on Joe Rogan, it was the last one they with done with Michael Shermer and with Michael Shermer, and he he. By the end of it, you know, he again had not done his research, like, you know, and I, I, I just can't understand how you can come to debate men like these. And Randall Carlson has some amount of evidence. He's got amazing slideshows. He's got, he's travelled the length and breadth of the country. But he doesn't get near the things. criticism that Carlson does, though. That Graham Hancock. Oh, sorry, Hancock. Graham Hancock. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know because Graham Hancock is quite open about the fact that he uses that he's used ayahuasca, that he's used different psychedelics, and again, you have to remember Graham Hancock is only ever a, a reporter. Yes. So he never he would have no science credentials, so he wouldn't. So for any scientist or any archaeologist to admit that he's right and they're wrong, you can only imagine why they'd be willing to destroy him in front of things. But only only about a year ago, the Daily Mail and some of them other kind of papers um, 
done a done a whole kind of piece on Graham Hancock and said, you know, more or less saying, well, we've got this wrong, and this is this is the evidence to support it. One of one of the big findings that are now starting to find that the geologists are starting to find is the nano diamonds. There's there's they're finding nano diamonds all over the world at the minute, and from this impact, from this impact, and the reason they know it's at that impact is because it's under layers and layers of you know sedimentary rocks and different things like that, and yeah, they're, they're able to age it. Else, yeah. So they're saying that twelve and a half thousand years ago. So that either means we had a nuclear explosion on this planet that was man-made, or we had the only other thing that could have caused them nano diamonds is a meteor impact. Yeah, which would obviously bring the radiation with it and would bring them kind of things with it. So Graham's Graham's theory is is that we had a more advanced civilization than we're led to believe. Like you know and. If you if you if you listen to any of the tribes, if you listen to the Aboriginals in in Australia, if you listen to the different tribes, the Buiti tribes in Africa, all of these things, they all they believe that um, society is cyclical, and you know as as societies grow and evolve and all of them kind of things, when when it when it begins to get out of hand, Mother Nature. They believe the planet is pure, is conscious in itself. So they believe that as as we begin to destroy the planet, very much like we're kind of doing now, that Mother Nature sends a Mother Nature sends a wake up call, and it's we we re, we reboot society. And what Graham Hancock's theory is is that Gobekli Tepe was buried twelve and a half thousand years ago to to warn us of of these kind of incidents. And the same with the the pyramids in Egypt. They would say that you know the technology that it must have taken to build them, like they, they that was not built by you know primitive men with stone hammers and slaves, like you know no, no, these not are by any means. these are these are a direct mirror image of Orion's belt in the sky from twelve and a half thousand years ago. There, there's, I guess you know the thing is is that. With Graham Hancock and that, they've they've had geologists do uh, carbon dating. Oh no, sorry, it's not carbon dating. On the on the Sphinx beside the pyramids, there's uh, there's water erosion on the Sphinx yeah. that they're dating at the last time that there was water in the in Egypt that could have made their marks would have been again twelve and a half thousand years ago. So they're saying that all of this is kind of pointing to it to as I said a rebooting of our society, like you know. And that there's massive evidence coming out to support this now, like you know, and as I was saying, the tribes and all they would say that you know cultures and 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 that are cyclical, like you know that everything is cyclical. Yeah, a lot of Graham Hancock's uh, theories, I suppose, have um, it's come to light that he was right on a number mm. of occasions. Yeah, it seems to be, but. It's obviously not him that's making these findings. It's it's other it's it's other people. It's the scientific community basically that are No, not really. No, he's doing the field work. Him and him and Randall Carlson are doing the field work, like, you know, he's the one going round and he's looking at gathering all the evidence and I guess as him and Randall Carlson would explain it is is that they're doing the field work but they're also taking the evidence from everybody else around but that's what and I mean. they're putting they're, it all together their, their theories mm. have been proven by other people who have been working independently oh and doing sorry their own yeah thing. yeah I get, yes and yeah, i think they, what they the, now are yeah they now are but mm. the, the criticism that he gets is that he jumps the gun mm. like hypothetically he may have theorized that gobekli tepe existed yeah. but he just couldn't pinpoint it where yeah. where it was and he was pissing them on and the people weren't basically taking him seriously mm. but then as soon as it was discovered no one is arguing the fact that it was discovered, but I think people are quick are are slow to give him credit for 
for his theories because they're not, I suppose they're not backed up but to the degree that they need to be before they're taken seriously. But they kind of are now being backed up. Like they are now, said, but the, he, he the wants... The science is now backing him up. It is, but, but he's looking for remember, credit before the science is there. No, to be honest, I think I think what, what Graham's biggest gripe is is that they literally brought him on and they absolutely destroyed him on a show on BBC. They absolutely... Horizons did oh, a show on him. I, I'm not too sure the name of it now, but it was done. It was done about you know twenty years ago or so, and they absolutely destroyed his reputation. They belittled them in papers. They belittled them in magazines. They literally made fun of him. And I guess, I guess there's only so much of that you can take before you know you start to kind of say, well, guess what? I was right. Like you know, when you yeah, when yeah. you've been made an absolute, you're you know. His career was on the line, like you know, and he he was putting out there evidence that that the scientists should have went to went to um, try and discover was he right or was he wrong, and they literally just laughed in his face, like you know. Was he not a bit cavalier with some of his kind of predictions and some of his theories? Granted, they may have well turned to have been right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but sure, I guess I, I guess you know to to change anything in the world, like there always needs to be a maverick, doesn't there? Like you know, there needs to be somebody who's willing to. To push the boundaries, I suppose, and that's what Graham done was push the boundaries. I think you know. But for every one Graham Hancock, you mm. have that you know gets proven right. You have God knows but how he, many more. He was don't bringing work. science to do too. Like he had um, what's his name? He had geologists and all. You know, it wasn't that he was just coming there and saying, "Oh, this this is the way I think it is." Like you know, yeah, yeah. he did have scientists who were doing proper science. You know, there's guys. Um, John Anthony West is an Egyptologist, and he had he has spent his life working on on um in Egypt on the pyramids and all of these things. Um God I can't for the life we can't think of the name of the geologist. The geologist anyway who was who was working in one of the uh, top colleges over in America who was 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 the head um geologist in, in the in the um college was coming out to agree with Graham Hancock's work so he was bringing evidence it wasn't I think that it wasn't that he was just rocking up there and he was just saying oh look this is what I think happened or whatever like you know and I think I think the main the main thing was they kept saying to him well there's there's no more evidence there's no evidence other than the pyramids of any buildings of this structure being built anywhere, and then I think when Gobekli Tepe when Gobekli Tepe came to light, I, I guess he probably found, he probably felt like he was you know that he'd been proven right, like yeah, and been vindicated. you know when you're vindicated and when you've been absolutely ridiculed and absolutely made to be look like you're fucking mad in the head, like oh, I guess you are going to you know you're definitely going to be a bit righteous about it, I think, aren't you? <laughs> like you know, like and I I suppose rightly so, but. Yeah, he. I. I find Graham's work fascinating. I. I like yourself. I. I would like Randall more, because you know, I guess Randall is more of the scientific end of it. Like you know, he he's has more level-headed. To, yeah, exactly, start. exactly. But you know, but Graham is a reporter. He's not a scientist. I suppose. Very true. Like you know. Very true. Yeah. So you know, at the end of the day, he's you know he's going to want to sell books, and that's what Graham does as well. Like you know, so he is promoting, but he's passionate. I guess like, and it's. You know when you you know when you've been ridiculed for twenty years, like I'm sure your passion would overboil at some stage when you're finally being proven right. Like you know, oh yeah, it's bound to. So bound to. it's bound to be like where I don't think Randall's had that pushback on him. I think because Randall was using so much science and using so much of that kind of stuff, I think he probably got more credit than Graham would have. So he probably doesn't feel the need to be, you know, so kind of. I guess what I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Do you know where where Graham is a little brash about it now, like you know where he kind of says, "Well, you know, 
the evidence is now supporting what I'm saying but I believe that that's only because there was such a backlash against him and I think with Randall he's never had that Randall is only really coming into the fore of, of people now within the last two or three years like I never took the criticism that Graham Hancock took you know Oh yeah like on a level of, of fame for, for good or for good or for bad yeah. Hancock would be far far more well known Yeah Um Another guy that springs to mind, given the subject matter of spirituality mm. and consciousness and gods and all that jazz, is Deepak Chopra. Hmm, yeah. I'd be very interested to know what you make of Deepak <laughs> Chopra. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, full of shit, I think. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I'm I was sure. kind of half afraid of no. you two. Oh, I've, I've a picture of the wall or something. Yeah, yeah, like, well, yeah. I have him tattooed on my ankle, but uh, <laughs> no. Fuck yeah! Look, you know, again, he means well. You know, he definitely means well, and he's definitely doing. As I, you know, as I've said before, I believe in duality and everything. I believe everything has its good and its bad, and he's he's brought a lot of people to meditation. He's brought a lot of people to Certainly yoga. Has. He's awakened a lot of people to spirit. If if you're in, if you're helping people find spirit, then it doesn't matter whether you're whether you're a you know full of shit or not like you know as long as you're leading them to a place where they then begin to question things and they then as long as he doesn't become their god like you know that's the thing what sometimes sometimes somebody like that can open the door for people and that's you know that's probably what he's done for a lot of people he's opened the door and a lot of people will then begin to see okay well look you know maybe 30 percent of the stuff he's talking about is good like the meditation and the yoga and maybe all of that and the other 70 percent is bullshit but they'll find their own path on from there then i would imagine you know so i think there's good and bad in everything like you know and is there anyone else that springs to mind that you know you'd like to is there anyone out there that you wish was more famous than they were? Alan like, Watts. And that there's a Alan lad that Watts. that name just keeps coming at me and Alan at me Watts. and at me, and yeah. I don't know anything about him. Alan Alan Watts about he would have been, you know, I think in and around the seventies and maybe the eighties or whatever. More likely the seventies, I'd say. But he he went over to uh, the likes of India and Burma and all of these places, and he studied he studied the Eastern philosophies. And what he done was he translated the Eastern philosophies for you know dummies like ourselves to try and understand, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And but sorry, was he American English or he was English? Okay. He was English, right? And he he would have went over there and he studied and became a Zen master. He studied Buddhism. He just studied he just, he studied Hinduism, Taoism. You know all the isms, I guess. Really, and, like, and what know, was he before he left? Was he like a teenager? I think he was could he have been a teacher? Or, or? I'm not so okay. sure. He 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 began. So I think a lot. Of what changed him was LSD. I think he had some LSD experiences, and what that and what he then done was it it sent him on a path. And you know the, the path back then seemed to bring you to India, where I guess the path now seems to bring you to the Amazon jungle, like you know. But he went out to India and he went and studied all the different philosophies. And he he is probably the person who's best translated them philosophies into English for us like you know you can YouTube his stuff Alan Watts it's some of it's absolutely beautiful like you know absolutely like yeah because it has come I couldn't up on recommend my, him enough it ha- he has come up repeatedly on my feeds mm. but it's um, him it's him that gave me that you know that that says that line you know that he, what you are is God playing a game of hide and seek with himself okay that's right. where I heard that you know and I you know that's what's kind of made me you know I definitely love that saying that's I'll always remember him for that I guess like you know but he 
he would talk about the soul and reincarnation and he again he's translated all them philosophies that have incredible wisdom in them absolutely incredible wisdom in them like you know if you if you can cut through the bullshit and that's what he seemed to have done and why know. isn't he more famous than he is? Is he dead? He's dead now. He died, yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure how he died or that now, but he died. He died, I'm not sure again, a, a good, good while longer than I've been looking at this kind of thing, I suppose. So he's been dead since I found him, but I found him through. Well, you know, I guess the, the internet is only in its infancy, like, you know, so it's only now really that we're beginning, you know, it's only now that you can literally pick your phone out and pick Alan Watts, you know. It used to be through books and it used to be through all of these other things that we used to have to get our information from these people. But now everything's at the click of a finger, isn't it? Like, you know, and more and more people are starting to find their ways to Alan Watts. Ram Doss is another guy. That's a f- uh, name that's not familiar now. Ram, Ram Doss. Das, Ram Das, Rupert, Rupert Albert was his name, I think. Rupert Albert was his name. He was a, he was um, one of the big colleges over in America. He was a, a teacher there, so he was. And again, in and around the time, he started using LSD, so he did. And he started um, using, they done the, the Good Friday experiment. Have you heard about the Good Friday experiment? Was this with the prison? It was no. It was himself and uh, a guy called Timothy Leary and. Oh, was Peterson's pre- predecessor, wasn't it? Sorry, was that the guy? Oh, not pre- predecessor. The guy that Jordan Peterson took over from at Harvard was Timothy Leary. Yes. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure about that now, but I know. I know at Harvard that's where. Um, uh, well. Tim Leary was kind of, I guess he came out back in the 60s. He was the one who was telling America, you know, that LSD was going to be, everyone needed to go and take LSD and, you know, down with the government. And I think his line was tune in, tune out or something. But they were, they were, they were like uh, fucking um, head of these colleges, like, and they obviously got put out then or whatever. But Tim, Timothy Leary kind of went down one path with the psychedelics where he thought everybody should take them and he thought, you know, crack your head open and everything will be all right, like, you know. But then Ram Dass, he kind of done, he, through, the, through LSD and all that, kind of found his way over towards Buddhism. And again, he went over to India and studied with kind of gurus and, you know, uh, what, um, Sri... Rami Baba or something was the guru that he and many other people studied under and he believed that they were holy men like you know so he went and he kind he's still alive now uh, but they gave him the name then Ram Who's Das sorry, Ram Das, is, Ram still das is still alive like, is so he's came back documentary about Ram probably Das and is, Timothy yeah, Leary there probably would be there probably would be but the good the Good Friday the Good Friday study was a study that they done where they got I think it was 20 people and they gave they gave 10 people a placebo and they gave 10 people psilocybin mushrooms Okay. and they um, and this was all done on, on obviously on Good Friday but it was done in the basement of a church and some of them were I think as far as I can recall some of them would have been you know holy men and priests and blah 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 but the 10 people within literally within an hour the people who knew that they'd taken the placebo knew they'd taken the placebo and the people who knew that they'd taken the psilocybin they knew they'd taken the psilocybin right <laughs> but apparently you know and I think that's where I got that that statistic from earlier where they were saying uh, 70 70% of the people that took the psilocybin said it was in the top three spiritual experiences of their life. And they've then, since then, they've done a, a follow-up study and the people, they I think they got seven out of the ten that would have taken it. And to this day, they would still maintain the same thing. They say that memory has lived with them, that spiritual experience has lived with them throughout their whole life. So 
these plants aren't something you take and a year later you forget about. They yeah, seem to yeah. be, you know, 30 years later then people still, that experience is as fresh in their mind as the day it happened and they still have the same feelings and beliefs about it, like, you know. Um, one thing that we haven't mentioned is microdosing. Have you... Mm. Uh, experimented with that at all or I haven't now I haven't to be honest with you if I'm if I'm doing psychedelics I'm all in <laughs> do you know what I mean um, I think to, to be honest you know they do they do say with psychedelics you know to do to do higher doses less frequently okay. is the way to do them but with the micro dosing you're literally taking and um, in Silicon Valley now that's your iPhone Steve Jobs Steve, Steve Jobs was micro dosing LSD when he found uh, how to get the iPhone working like you know we you know there's different people you know Francis you've, you've heard of Francis Crick yeah, Francis Crick is the guy that um, found our DNA. Yeah. Decoded our DNA. Watson. He was Frank on LSD, Crick, yeah. so he was on LSD when he found whatever he needed to find to unlock that key or whatever. You know, so we've 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 instances throughout history where big things have happened through people expanding their consciousness with these substances, like you know. But the microdosing, I think, is something that you do. I think you take a very minute dose every three days. Right. Every three days. And apparently some people are finding it very good for depression, anxiety. You know, again, it's more of the psychological diseases and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, like back back, back in the 60s, you know, as I was saying, like LSD was used by uh, psychologists, like, you know, when they were when they were doing um, different experiments or not experiments, when they were doing psychology with people like, you know, so if you were going in and you were going up to the psychologist or whatever, you take a little bit of LSD like and it you'll find you know when you're on this, when you're on these psychedelics you open your heart like like back in the 90s when we were all out raving and stuff like that like you used to take MDMA like we took MDMA and we met people in clubs that you never met and, and you poured your life story out <laughs> to them in an hour like you know yeah, yeah. so imagine what kind of a tool that is for somebody who's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder who's unable to get that out and all and they're taking this compound that's able make a making them able to pour out their, their biggest fears and their biggest anxieties, that's where the healing happens. Like, you know, healing happens through conversation for a lot of these people, like, you know, because we all want to be listened to. And sometimes, you know, we don't feel comfortable talking about the things that, you know, most kind of make us sad or most of our fears, like, you know, but with these compounds, that's gone. It's gone. You, you, as we said, you'll talk to a stranger in the club about, you know, the worst thing that's probably happened in your life, like, you know. Yeah, it, it it ties in nicely with the, or it's analogous, should I say, to what I said about my friend's mother who was suffering. I still can't think of the, mm. the, the illness that she has. But the benefit that she's gotten from cannabis mm. doesn't really have much to do with the, the cannabis itself yeah. as such. It's yeah. the fact that she's eating yeah, and yeah. she's sleeping. Mm, of course. So, yeah. But why like are we denying there, people these? This is the problem. Why are we denying people these medicines? Well, why are we? Yeah. I'll well, throw again, the question the back far- on to it's you. It's the pharmaceutical companies, isn't it? Like, you know, because anybody can grow weed. Like, we can all grow weed in our back garden. You know, they can't They can't make money off you. The pharmaceutical industry wants you on tablets. That's what it wants you on for all your life. Mm. If you've got depression, they give you a prescription and they want you on that for the rest of your life. There's no money to be made in curing people. There's only money to be made in keeping people at bay. That's an argument that's often repeated, but... If a pharmaceutical company came up with something that hypothetically cured cancer mm. or cured a particular type of cancer, yeah. 
if they released that, they would become the most reputable drug company in the world mm. and their sales would go through the fucking roof. But their sales would only go through till you were cured. As soon as you're cured, you're not going to buy anything more But it's only one ailment. So if you can cure, for argument's sake, a yeah. particular type of leukaemia yeah. and you make all the papers worldwide as the company who's effectively cured cancer, yeah. then if you've got a pain in your toe, you're going to mm. buy the drug from the company that cured yeah, cancer. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I, cer- I certainly understand that. But cancer is a billion dollar industry worldwide every year. Cancer is a billion dollar industry. Oh, and it's only so. a billion dollar industry because, you know, we're not curing people because we're keeping people on medications and we're keeping people on, you know, we're putting plasters over wounds is what we're doing. Yeah, th- there's a great analogy. Um, you get a painkiller for the stone in your shoe. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but what can we do? Yeah. Like, well, talking about there's it there's, there's a lot, yeah, but you see, that's, you know, as I've already said to you, you've got, you've got the John Hopkins uh, studies that are going on at the minute. You've got maps. You've got, uh, as I said, the Aubrey Marcus has started up a group called the, I'm nearly sure the website's called The Cure Is Near. You know, where you can donate, where you can go on and you can see the science that's being done behind these, where you can donate money. It, you know, it's all about getting the clinical trials done, but these clinical trials need funding. And, you know, it's through people like Aubrey Marcus and through people like that that, you know, the, the funding is coming for these things. Like, um, the psychedelic research, every year, the, the, the studies that are being done, they're literally... Every year, every seminar that's held is literally exploding with people. Scientists are coming to this now in a in a major rate, but it, it needs to be there needs to be money like everything, doesn't there? Like there needs to be money to do the tests and to do the clinical trials and all of that kind of thing, you know. But as you said, like maps, if you if you wanna Google maps, it'll bring up all the, the work they're doing, all the studies they're doing, all the tests and studies I've talked about there tonight are will all be on it, like, you know. Great work has is has and is and will mm. be fingers crossed uh, done. But for for the likes of people listening, mm. what what can what can they do? Like what can we do? Like uh, again, part of this part of the whole point of having this com- having this podcast and this yeah. platform is to, is to have these conversations and kind of spread awareness. Mm. So I suppose that's that's one important mm, way. Certainly, yeah. Is there is there another way? I mean, would you wholesale recommend that anybody listening to this try DMT or try ayahuasca or if LSD? if you feel if you feel you're being called to that, like if you feel if you feel that and that I've been saying to you is resonating and you feel like you're being called to something like that, then as long as you can find somebody who's reputable, as I said to you, there's, there's people out there that want to take use this for good and bad. So as long as you find somebody who's reputable, who's done it before, who knows what they're doing, then, you know, and take it easy like there's nobody saying like with, with with psychedelics a lot of the time it's dosage you need to be with somebody who knows the right dose for these things you know the difference the difference between a medicine and poison is dosage yeah very that's, much so that's the difference so you need to be with somebody who knows what they're doing if 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 you're if you can find somebody who's who knows what they're doing and has done their research who understands the whole set and setting and the information is out there the information is online but we need to be very careful with these compounds like we need we need to you know to understand what we're dealing with we are dealing with a medicine but you know, I don't suggest that these things are done at parties, and I don't suggest that everyone just walks out there now and starts doing psychedelics. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that. Like you know, but if you if you feel, you know, a calling towards it, then it's do your research, do your research, and go online and put in bad trips. And if you can read a couple of the bad trips, and if you think 
fuck that then don't do psychedelics but if you can go on and you can read them and you say okay if that comes up maybe i uh, you know i'm i i would hope to think i can deal with it and again that's why i say you do it with somebody who's experienced doing this because they will be the ones to lead you through that they will be ones to lead you through the hard times on a psychedelic that's why you don't want to be doing these things at parties yeah well i i first hand experience of taking mm. uh psilocybin not in not with my set and yeah, setting right and yeah. one thing that caught me out on what you mentioned earlier about it hitting you in waves mm. what I found was um, I came up I suppose or, or it hit me um, and you know it was hilarious and that was great and then it mm-hmm. kind of died there and it was it was brilliant and I felt joy and love and all yeah. the rest of it and it went away and then it came back and I remember getting a little bit paranoid mm. then because Every time I came down off it, I was like, okay, yeah. is that it over? Yeah, Will I yeah. ever know if it's coming back or not? Yeah. And what ended up happening then was I thought it was over. Yeah. And I took them in Amsterdam and thought the experience was over. Went for a stroll through the red light district yeah, and yeah. bang. Right back And the red light district at 10 o'clock on a Saturday <laughs> yeah, night yeah, yeah, is no yeah, place yeah, to be. Definitely <laughs> not. I, do you know what? I'm sure many a person has found that out over in Amsterdam. Yeah. Or so, or yeah, yeah and I've heard loads of them stories. Another similar story would be with uh, cannabis in its, in its edible format, mm. which is not far off a psychedelic. In edible its edible cannabis. form, yeah. yeah. You see, smoking and edible are very different things. They become different, different compounds. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but I think a trap that a lot of people fall into in both mushrooms and edible cannabis is they take their dose Mm. and half an hour later they're like I fucking don't feel anything so they take the same amount again literally they know if they waited another hour or Mm. so whatever the length of time would be they would have come up and see that's again as I said that's the difference between a medicine and a poison Dosage. dosage yeah no absolutely dosage with these things no. you know but there's so much information now as I said through through the likes of Maps through the likes of Aubrey Marcus you know check out Aubrey Marcus's podcast he's explaining all these things probably far better than I'm making the balls to do here tonight but is yeah it, is it the Aubrey Marcus podcast or is you there can a look name up, there's the Aubrey Marcus podcast but if you go to his website he's done he's done a couple of different documentaries on one on the San Pedro one on the Ayahuasca so there's documentaries you can watch I think I'm sure they're for free I'm nearly sure they're for free like on his website like you know so mm. your blog then is that online my blog was online. I had when I left Australia, I'd started up a. I had my own web page, but it was costing me money uh, to have it up and running. And I'd I'd done it just specifically just for the blog, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. And when I'd le- when I'd left Australia, I'd been paying for it on my Australian card. But obviously, then when I moved back home, my Australian cards and all got cancelled. Cancelled, so they never took the payment or whatever course, so yeah. then obviously my page was lost so I couldn't really get back to, to doing it now I you know anytime I, any, anything I would do with that blog now would be if people would ask me I'd email it to them really like you know so ok well I, I'll make sure to share it along with yeah, this podcast and hope to get yeah. this up yeah, absolutely. Uh, tomorrow Yeah. Um, have you other bodies of work uh, aside from that specific blog or um. Yeah, I've, I've written, I suppose, one or two things, but probably not. I don't know. I don't people would be too interested in them. To You'd be, be surprised. Honest, yeah. You'd be surprised, especially after listening to this. Like, I mean, we've yeah. They probably wouldn't be about. To be honest, they probably wouldn't be about the psychedelics really so much. They would be more. Yeah, they wouldn't be so much about the psychedelics. The blog is the only thing I've ever written based on the psychedelics I've done. Like, you know. And what's the other work then? I don't know, I guess maybe just different different thoughts I've had over life, I suppose, and just different things like that, I guess. But if, if somebody um, sat here and enjoyed, what are we in now? We're just coming up to three hours now. 
believe it or not. Uh, If someone's been sitting and and I'm not sitting because that's the beauty of podcast or passive, you can do your own thing, driving or working. But if there's someone out there that, you know, likes to cut of your jib I mean there's what 7 billion people in the world yeah, there's a yeah, fraction of them yeah. that are into you like. yeah I'm sure I got an email it them or something I suppose yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah well, if people are if people were interested like but yeah I don't know have you an email address would you put that yeah it's no bother just my What's name the... just ivmcquillen at gmail.com so can you, anyone can you spell that out of people it be just I-V-O-R and it's mcquillen m-c-q-u-i-l-l-a-n at gmail.com and that'll get you, so... That'll get the blog, like, you know, as we probably only got onto night three, really, of the ceremonies, didn't we, really? But there's a whole, there's a whole other two, you know, there's a whole, yeah, we've only scratched the surface, really, of the ceremonies, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I'd be keen to get you back. Yeah, I know, for sure, I definitely, yeah, I'd, you know, if, if people were interested, I certainly would, yeah, I know, for sure. Well, d- definitely, and I know <clears> for a fact that people will be interested, and yeah. I'm more than interested. Uh, maybe I'll be a bit more. Maybe I'll be a bit more kind of relaxed the next time. I you think were perfectly course, relaxed. Yeah, you were. Yeah. You were one hundred percent. Feel like it at the start. Yeah. No, no. Uh, you, yeah, you, yeah. you, you, uh, yeah. you breeze through it. <clears> I have to say, from from the start to finish, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm keen to finish your ayahuasca story. I'm going to leave people hanging. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get you back, mm. and in the meantime, we're going to organise a trip to. Abroad. Abroad, well, yeah, Holland, yeah. We call it Holland. Yeah, yeah. A trip to Holland where you and me are going to do what? A magic mushroom ceremony. Okay. Yeah, so a mushroom ceremony that's, yeah, hopefully going to shed a bit of light on this for you. You know, with the right set, the right setting, it's done in a proper ceremony. You're going to go in with the right intentions and hopefully you're going to have the experience that... I've shared with an awful lot of people. I've had, as I've said, yeah, I've had a lot of people call me a fucking hippie and all of them kind of things. <laughs> I well believe it. They've all changed their tune very quickly, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, so. I, I, I certainly wouldn't call you a hippie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Certainly wouldn't. Yeah. Um, not in a derogatory sense, at yeah. least. Um, I'd like to think I'm an explorer of consciousness. That's what I'd... If I had to define myself as something, it would be that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I like that. Uh, I really do. And I encourage everyone to read the the blog post that i'll put up and i said to you i think before the podcast started you should uh narrate it yeah read it and just leave it as a recording because i think a lot of people listening are going to be the same as myself if you give me something that takes an hour to read Mm. i'll read it within a month you give me something that's 15 hours long and i'll have listened to it in two or three days Yeah. yeah and i think most people are I yeah. like that, so... Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, again, I think that's because, you know, it's only over 5,000 years now that we're really reading and writing. And we've evolved over 200,000 years. We're visual. We're visual animals, aren't we? Like, and here, and we, we rely on the senses. Where oh, the yeah. Reading is only a new thing. Reading is only 5,000 years old within our within our evolutionary history, isn't is it? Is it that like, even... Is it remotely even, that long? If even that long. Well, the Upanishads, the Upanishads from... The Hindu religion, I think, have been written down over the last thousand, couple of thousand years. Maybe I, I could be mistaken on that, but I think we're reading about or reading and writing that long. Maybe not though. Maybe it's well, not even that long. Either way, it's a very short. It's, it's a very it's short. Thousands of years thing. against yeah, probably exactly. tens of millions of years. Exactly. I think that's why so many of us struggle to read, like you know, and can and can struggle to sit down and read a book, like. Yeah, no, I think, I think so. I, I yeah. heard recently what was it? Was it a Roman Empire? Was it was it Caesar? Maybe. Um, I can't remember a, a historical figure within the last, you know, yeah. thousand odd years or so, a couple of thousand years, was famous at the time for being able to read quietly. 
Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. And I never realised that that was ever a thing, that yeah, when people yeah. read first, read like it, it, it took us, I don't know how long, but it took us a certain period of time to actually right. read in our head. Inside. So it's no wonder that people struggle reading yeah, these days yeah. at all, yeah, never mind, yeah. Yeah. you know, long-form books or that. Yeah. But the book, Food for the Gods, Terence McKenna, I'll have read by the time... Uh, we're ready um, to go to Holland. We're ready to go to Holland. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll get you back on, we'll finish the story of uh, your trip to yeah. Peru with Percy and co. And you might not either because you might have your story to tell and my story might mean as much afterwards. Well, no, we'll fi- we'll, yeah, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do you that to you. We'll yeah, finish it. Kidding, yeah. And uh, listen, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure yeah, having you no, on. Thank you very much And I look me. forward to having yeah. you again. Yeah. And you give us that much. email address one last time just for people who it's, are interested. It's just ivormcquillen at gmail.com. Ivor, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure no and I look forward to our, our next podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a blast. Thank you very much. Thank I you. appreciate it.